Good evening, everybody. Nice to see some smiling faces. Pretty unusual these days to actually see a face instead of a mask, dare I say it. Hey, uh, we've got a great lineup this evening of some fabulous speakers. And um, first of all, I'd just like to do a bit of housekeeping. Uh, for those who don't know, the toilets are down the back. Um, we have exits. There is an exit down the stairs at the back of the room. There's another exit to the left. Um, and we also have an exit here in case there's uh, any emergency. I hope you got your phone switched off because the emergency's been going nuts for the last 20 minutes or so um, with the government um, emergency thing. Um, actually, deja vu, the last time I was here, exactly the same thing happened with the lockdown. We had Alison Goodwin doing a speak and the same thing, All the, everyone's phones went nuts. Um, now I've also been asked, there's some merchandise down the back for anyone who wants to get some memorabilia of this evening's um, momentous occasion. Uh, feel free to have a look down at the tables down there, there's some lovely t-shirts and some other merchandise. Um, now it's, this is not about me, this is about the speakers. So we've got um, the, the first two up who are running the show. Um, these guys have been on the road for four weeks. And trust me, that's when you're living out of a suitcase, four weeks is a long time. I've done it. Um, they've started this on the 23rd of April and have been travelling around the country, visiting venues like this, spreading the good word, putting together some massive, amazing speakers. And um, it's great to see everybody getting behind the cause and coming along to see some um, great people in our communities. So without further ado, I'd like to, um, oh, just one other thing. Um, for anyone who would like to sign up to the website, it's counterspinmedia.com. So we'd encourage everybody to get behind the website. So if you could go on, log in, sign up, counterspinmedia.com. Um, so, but without further ado, I'd like to introduce you to the main event, um, Kelvin and Hannah. Wow, Wellington isn't that woke after all. Look at you, you look amazing. Um, yeah, it was, Wellington's one of those cities I think that's taken a little while to kind of get going. Uh, of course with all the, the politicians and all the bureaucrats and all the, the kind of left-wing uh, woke mentality, they kind of don't like anybody that likes freedom, apparently. But um, congratulations to all of you for turning up. You look amazing. Um, thank you to Mary and all of our wonderful speakers. And thank you for the event, for, um, or the, the venue for allowing us to be here. We have had a lot of trolls. Obviously, as soon as the venue gets announced, they like to try and try and to cancel us, don't they, Calvin? Yep. <laughs> but uh, so far, actually, no venues have crumbled. So it's really good to see people standing up. And I think they're not, um, they're starting to see through all the lies, you know, because obviously we're apparently a whole bunch of white supremacists. Um, what else are we? <laughs> Conspiracy theorists, um, racists, yes, uh, disinformation agents. Oh, we made the yeah, top violent. 12. We yep. made the top 12. <laughs> we did. 
Uh, yeah, so there's a lot of awesome things happening in the mainstream. Uh, we got mentioned recently on a comedy show called Have You Been Paying Attention? That was quite cool. Uh, one of the hosts said um, that Whitaker's was voted the top most trusted brand for the 11th year in a row. And then the second most trusted brand, Calvin, was? They said, Counterspin, the truth will out. <laughs> However, they were taking the piss. Yeah. But that's amazing advertising for us. <laughs> we don't have an advertising budget, so TVNZ are doing it for us. Thank you, guys. Yeah. Um, and, of course, we launched the tour on Anzac Day this year, uh, which is exactly one year after we started the show. And we've done that purposely um, as, you know, the reference of the tour, let's not forget, because, of course, our forebears gave, um, in many instances, the ultimate sacrifice for our freedoms. And they like to try and say, oh, we're twisting the, the meaning of Anzac Day or somehow we don't understand. But, of course, all of you know exactly what we're fighting for. And, um, the fact is we're reinforcing it because those parasites down there in Parasite Palace, that needs to be bloody fumigated as soon as possible. As I said, it is a crime scene. It needs to be cordoned off, records preserved and used in upcoming trials to put these democidal maniacs on the stand and then convict the pricks because we have the evidence. And the police out there, start doing your job. The military failed us. They let the enemy inside the gates. Now it's time for you guys to clean up and clean out. Something's got to be done and done now. They're killing people. Sorry to interrupt. Yeah, no, so they tried, to, they tried to cancel Anzac Day for all of you up in Auckland. I don't know if you were aware of that, but um, the RSA, oh, sorry, the New Zealand Defence Force first said that any current uh, serving service men and women were not to attend any public events. Uh, they quickly backpedalled on that. And then uh, the council, along with the RSA, um, they, they actually did say on Radio New Zealand that it was not a VIP event um, and that, it, that all the public was welcome. But the mainstream media, as usual, uh, just for about two or three days after that, said it was invite only to put the public off from going. And they knew that Counterspin would be there. Um, unfortunately, we didn't quite have the bus at that time because it would have been amazing to have the bus in front of the museum and just be right there where nobody could ignore us. Rock them up. Um, and they did say that the whole domain was going to be blocked off by the police and that, you know, you'll be invite only. But lo and behold, we turn up on Anzac Day. No police, really. There's maybe like half a dozen. It was very small presence. Great parking. Um, yeah, lots of parking. We just went straight in, and uh, the public was actually more than welcome. So uh, it just goes to show you how scared they are. And uh, Jacinda actually turned up. We didn't know she was going to be there. The head parasite. Yeah. <laughs> um, In fact, she's got a bloody nerve to do that, because I know this is live, and I'll keep calling them out, because you still can't arrest me. And I'll do it again. Hutt Valley CIB, Detective Inspector Martin Todd. I'm still waiting. You sent police to my mother's house as well. Got the marching orders from her, because she's worse than I am. She swears like a bloody miner. And um, so, yeah, they're, they're hell-bent on trying to find anything to shut us up. They can't ever attack us on facts and evidence. If you watch all the shows, if you watch the Bioformium one, the one that, um, episode 66 as well, that Hannah did with Dr. Tal Braun, now he just spells it out nicely. It is a bioweapon. It is killing people. And now, of course, you've got monkeypox ready to uh, come down the train. <laughs> Now, if you have a look at the pictures that they're showing, Google search those, you'll find they're from an earlier time. They're just recycling once again, keeping their fear alive like they did with Wuhan. You know, those people dropping dead left, right and centre, made everyone... Well, that was the uh, weaponisation of fear, drive you to the jab. Then what happens? 
that is your pandemic. That's what's causing no, the problem. No, but Calvin, that's just long COVID. No, long COVID, exactly. Pe- mer- now um, it's long COVID yeah, to explain the right reason why you're dying from the jab. Yeah. These guys got it all sewn up, except for you. You guys aren't buying the bullshit anymore, and I'm loving that, I tell you. So, yeah, that was just um, to show as well at Anzac Day, they said, because uh, we were working with an independent um, camera operator, he turned up, he didn't tell anybody who he was working with, and there was a um, one of the... Um, the officials came up to him and started questioning him. And what did he say, Calvin? Oh, he first of all he said. Oh, he's wearing. He was wearing. He had a yeah, mask he was wearing on. He's like a super secret agent, you know. Got a black mask on. Um, I actually, if you watch the video, because we were told we couldn't broadcast, multi television had exclusive rights to do that, and um, we weren't allowed to take take um, video or release it. So it's up on Telegram if you want to watch it. And. Um, <laughs> When he when he's talking to him, when he's talking to this guy that he thought was countersman, because he goes, I know who you are, you're countersman. And he goes, well, how do you know? I haven't told you who I'm working for. He goes, because you've got a big camera. My had, camera's had, bigger than yours. Envy. He had lens you envy. Know, your lens is bigger than mine. Mm-hmm. And, um, and if you watch the video, it looks like he's going to collapse. He's trying to breathe. You know, you breathe out and it goes up like a balloon. And then it sucks straight back in. It's incredible. And I thought, yes, yes. Oh, but he stayed standing. I'm surprised he did that, to be honest. Yeah, so it just goes to show you I would that... Have, I would have bet against them, to be honest. <laughs> well, they... And that's what Calvin's saying is they're scared of you guys because they yep. know that you guys are starting to look elsewhere. Uh, there was another mainstream media report this week and they went to try and find people on the street to say, like, what they thought of um, mainstream media and pr- I, they couldn't find anyone that actually still believes in mainstream media. So, um, and this is mainstream media telling their audience. So they're going to be their own demise. That was a known goal. Yeah. So, and we've been up, uh, we've been up and around the country, and then back down the middle. And uh, this, you guys, are the last stop for the North North Island. And geez, you turned it on, all right? My yeah. God, and we're packing out every venue that we go to, more or less. So um, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, it's your voice they're afraid of. We just provide the platforms. Because when we come here, we like getting you up to speak. We like hearing your voice, your stories, your solutions, especially the solutions. You need to go back to networking because that's where we lost it. We, we, we were asleep at the wheel. This is our fault. We're here because we were too damn lazy to stop it. And the men who are now latte drinking soy boy, bloody gender confused wankers. <laughs> no, no, not all of us exactly. So if there's any males left with any kahunas, start standing to and do your damn job. We're here to protect and save from the... F- Look, that head parasite, she turned up... Oh, oh, it still bugs me. All right, he's off she now. Turned, okay. She turns up at Anzac Day, the parasitical wench, and she has the nerve to stand there and pretend she gives a shit. She doesn't give a damn because she is letting in the back door what people gave their lives to prevent coming in the front. And our woke military leaders who should be decapitated, figuratively speaking, can't get me on that, um, and the police, top layer of the police, just like old, you know, Costa, he needs to go, he's a woke-ass wanker, and I can say all this stuff because I have the facts and evidence of it all. These guys are guilty of a lot of crimes against humanity, against you all. Now, there's a lot of people who just would rather go along to get along. I'm not really one of those, you can probably tell that. Um, And the medical profession, the ones who are smashing the doctors who actually give a shit about you and want to work with you to find the best health solution, they're getting eviscerated simply because they're standing up for you. So the medical council, corrupt as hell, 
they need to be up on charges as well. Build a separate set of gallows for them, if they're found guilty, of course. And I just want to say, uh, just since you're bringing it up, sure and this is a conversation that I've started having, um, toxic masculinity has been something that's been talked about for, you know, over 20 years now. And uh, we talk, you know, we talk about encouraging men to stand up and be men these days. Well, it's actually kind of not their fault completely that they haven't been able to do that because feminism has been a... Um, does, anybody, does anybody mind if I talk negatively about feminism? No, go for it. <laughs> I'm happy. Um, Happy as Larry. Because it's kind of this, it's hailed as, you know, this amazing thing for women and it's kind of like, yeah, women's rights and, and all of that. And it's been going on since I was a child. And I personally, as a female, I don't feel like I've ever been discriminated against. I've, I don't feel like I've ever had less opportunity as a woman. So I think it's time that we stop pushing feminism and we actually start because toxic masculinity has been talked about for, yeah, like I say, over 20 years and men have had to look at um, all the ways in which they are um, toxic, and all of you in this room, I know, will agree that you know there are extreme violence, and you know all the that we all know what men can do when when they're out of balance. But what can women do when they're out of balance? They become Have prime minister. <laughs> <laughs> and and that's exactly my point. Let's use um, let's use our prime minister as a prime example of somebody who is using toxic femininity in a negative way because it's not physical like toxic masculinity but it's you know it's psychological abuse it's gaslighting it's it's the fake kindness it's all this like let's stand up here and let's move as much with our body as we can so you believe me what i say um, and I'll smile as much as I can because that means I'm really nice, but I'm going to like make you get a toxic bioweapon just to keep your job so you can feed your family and pay your mortgage. And that, in my opinion, is complete toxic femininity at its worst. And I hope that the women of this country can start having that conversation because if men's, every time a man points out um, how females are toxic or you know they're negative, then of course they get labelled being sexist or a bigot or um, you know how dare you say that. And the other point that I'd like to add is that let's encourage our girls to um, strive to be mothers and strive to be wives and strive to be domestic goddesses because what's wrong with that? Why is being a wife and a mother seen for a woman as the last thing to be in life? Okay, and we unfortunately, <laughs> we have a biological clock uh, and you know, they don't tell you this at school. They tell you, get an education, go to university, be something, do something with your life. And so we can text the shit out of you. That's right. And how many women now get to their, you know, mid to late 30s and realise, oh, you know, my ovaries are starting to slow down and I need to quickly find somebody. Or they're getting IVF or they're on um, medication because they're starting to get depressed and they realise that life is not just about a career. So uh, these are the conversations that we're not having because somehow uh, if you want to be a wife or a mother, that's, you know, you often hear women say, oh, I'm just a mum. Or I'm well, just It's become a wife. popular amongst the men. Half of them want to become women too now. <laughs> yeah. So um, that's kind of, that's to me one of the most um, touchy topics, I suppose, that we're not really allowed to talk about. But uh, yeah, let's, let's raise our girls to want to be mothers and to want to be homemakers and be, be family, you know, orientated. Because at the end of the day, that's what all this gender confusion is all about. And that's what 
the whole um, destruction of the family is about. And transhumanism, of course. Well, back yeah. in the day, we used to, it used to be so much simpler. You could look at a female and say, well, what a woman. Now it's like, shit, is that a woman? <laughs> it's true. It's a true story. And believe in blokes. Is that a bloke? Yeah. So hard to tell. Or I saw another meme today. It was like, back in the day, we had Wonder Woman, and now it's like, I wonder if that is a woman. <laughs> okay, you got me there. You got me there. <laughs> I got no comeback for that, actually. All right, well, that's kind of... that was. Oh, and I do want to wait and make one other... Um, you le- let you know about one other thing, because obviously we've going been going around the country hearing lots of stories, uh, your stories, and one story that I do want to keep talking about is... Um, does anybody know Graham Phillip? No, okay, so... Um, we met Graham Phillips' wife in Taupo, Marta Phillip, and she told us the story of her husband, who um, is a very well-educated man. I think he's got about three degrees. He's run- he was running an IT company, um, and he woke up... Well, he st- he's very educated, like I say, and he, did- he was doing his research as COVID first hit. Uh, he realised, like all of us, you know, certain truths about it and misinformation about it. So he started challenging... Um, Taupo locals, I suppose. He'd walk around with a mask on and a snorkel. Um, life jacket. <laughs> and a life jacket, yes. And he would say, well, you know, I'm just wearing it just uh, so that you're safe and that you don't drown. Um, and so they didn't like that. That was actually the third time that he got affected by, oh, the police actually came to his house because the first time, I think, was when he went was going to the supermarket and there was a checkpoint and he wouldn't tell them where he was going because, you know, we live in a free country. Why do I need to tell the police if I'm going to the supermarket? But in the end, he just acquiesced and went along with it um, just so he could get them off his back. Uh, oh, and, there was, and he did a protest at one point too where they started harassing him. So the third time, they, they turned up 7am in their bedroom and took him away. So that was on the 8th of December. Now, he hasn't been home since. Um, he's... They have denied his bail twice. Uh, he's not had a trial. Um, he was, he's only allowed to speak to his wife for five minutes a week. She's not allowed to go and visit him. Um, he was in Spring Hill. Uh, he's been challenging the whole narrative and everything. So then they were putting him, they put him in high security for about uh, over two weeks. With someone coming down off meth. Can you imagine that? Yeah, some, his cellmate was someone who had tried to strangle someone with a, with a cord. Um, and that was because they saw him as a nuisance, so he's in there being punished. Then he was put into solitary confinement uh, with a room that had a broken window um, and he wasn't allowed to go outside. Because so, their excuse was, you've got enough fresh air, you've got a broken window. Yeah. So Marta has been trying to get information about this, her husband and what's happened. Uh, the police told her she's not to talk about it. Uh, she, um, it was, she has had nothing in writing. It was, there was some sort of accusation of willful damage, which we're trying to find out exactly what that was. Um, Something to do with pulling wires down. Yeah, so we don't know what that is. She doesn't know, um, but the point is, is that he is now a political prisoner and um, it's all because he was questioning the narrative and he was writing about it. He had his own um, radio station on Telegram called uh, Free Speech NZ and he had a few Telegram chats on there as well. So this is what's happening in New Zealand and um, we're going to do what we can to get to the bottom of this but it's absolutely heartbreaking uh, that this has gone on and that he's been in there since the 8th of December. Yep. 
She's allowed to. She's allowed to email him. But he can't email. He can't back. email back. If she emails, he then calls, but she can't call him and. She can write to her. He can write to her, and so it's yeah, it's just absolutely heartbreaking. So, I just wanted to make you guys aware of that, that that's what's happening in this country. Um, yeah. Yep. So we've got a recording of the interview, so uh, we'll, we'll be putting that out shortly, so you can hear it straight from her. Um, but yes, yeah, and it's just shocking that the police actually told her to be quiet as well. So. Yeah, that she had some lawyers involved, and then it was too far over their head like they just couldn't cope so now they pass it on to someone else and she's trying to figure out who's working on it um even the local mp a national mp because you know they're yeah. birds of the uh, feathers of the, of the same bloody wing of the bird um all she did was oh we'll go, i'll give it to the corrections one they just everyone's just passing the buck so circular arguments there's he's 61 years old he's still sitting there basically not out and he's an author. He's written lots of books. Never been in trouble with the cops before yeah. and deny bail twice. Yeah. They let child molesters and murderers out on, on less bloody, for less shit than that. Yeah. Pisses me off. So me. write to your local MPs. Ask them about Graham Phillip. Ask under the Official Information Act. Let's try and all collectively put pressure on them to actually get the information out. Because this man, whatever he's accused of, he deserves a fair trial, like we all do. If they're going to accuse us of something, we have a feeling that he may be charged under the Terrorism Act, so we have to find out what's going on there. But, um, you know, this is where it's heading for all of us. Uh, you know, if they don't like what we say, don't like what we do. I honestly didn't think this would happen in New Zealand. I just trouble, thought eh? this was um, China. You know, this is a kind of CCP China type move to just take someone off the street and not have anything said about it. Well, we're in debt to the CCP, so they probably should have got a training manual. Yeah. When we go around the country, we take polls now as well. Um, oh yeah, let's do it. And, yeah, and so this is, we'll get the camera set up so we can see the hands going up and so can the rest of the country because we do it elsewhere. And the carnage is real. It's actually affected people. So hands up all those people who know someone that you believe absolutely has been affected by that jab. There you go, Jacinda, wow. take a good look. Costa, you wanker, take a look. Every cop out there who should be doing your job and protecting these people, take a look. This is what we get all over the country. Don't tell me that shit's not happening. Is, it, is, is there anybody that doesn't know anybody who's been affected by the jab? Okay, so two, three people, four, five, six, seven hands have gone up who don't know somebody that's been affected wow. by the jab. Because let me tell wow. you, COVID-19 does not exist. It's bullshit. They've never isolated the virus from any patient anywhere in the world. It's a computer virus. They set the parameters, they put in the um, calculations, and they spit out the best results money can buy. It's like, like Chanel number no. 5 or Nike. It's a brand name. COVID-19 sounds cool. Looks cool. It's just shit. So how the PCR test, oh, I'm still ranting. Oh, sorry. <laughs> the PCR test was never fit for purpose. Even its inventor said it's not designed for a, as a diagnostic tool. They cycle it out to 40 cycles. They pick up all sorts of dead RNA and all sorts of crap. They take that and then again back in the computer. And then you've got wankers like Baker and Jackson and Hendy and that pink-haired witch, Susie Wiles, how the hell does she get New Zealander of the Year? Wake up. 
It's just like all these pricks who get knighted, who have usually been knighted because they've stuffed this country over. You can look at Longy, $40,000 a month, paid into a New Hebrides bank account. Bolger sold us out for $20,000 a month, US. Even the guy who should know about bloody money, Roger Douglas, only 10000 a month. You dick. At least sell out cheap. for more. Cheap whore. <laughs> but this Muldoon, of course, two $500,000 payments for the Tasman Pulp and Paper deal and $100,000 delivered by hand by Gerald Parsky for the think big projects that got us in the shit financially where the IMF then had to come in and bail us out and that's how we started losing everything because debt is impossible to pay. That's how it works. Usury kills everything. You want to know how these about pedophile networks and all that. Forget it. How do all these things function? The almighty dollar. That's the root cause of all. We've got to tear this system down, starve it, and create the sort of life you want, your system, your rules, your community. That's why they destroy the family first. Take out the family, you take out the, the community. You take out the community, society is easy to control. We argue over issues of no real importance. Well, these pricks carve up the banquet that you is rightfully yours and they feed you the scraps from it. <coughs> this shit's got to stop. And if you've got police in your family and you haven't been air bashing them about actually doing something, then you are a coward and you're part of the problem as well. And for all those people who say, all oh, these men are causing the problem, the bitches are fucking leading it at the moment. Are they really bitches though? They could be confused too. But think about it. Have a strong family, males won't be such pricks when they get older. Because everyone is born by a female. Got to ask yourself. Well, that's just the whole thing about females needing to take self-responsibility. And coming from an early childhood background and seeing what they're doing to children now, especially the boys, gentle hands, don't do that, don't be a boy, don't be wild, don't be rough and trying to just really contain that, that divine masculinity, that's a big part of the problem. And it's a big part of the problem that, that babies and children are getting put into daycare. Don't stop the government when they're trying to kill everyone. From six months old. It's all right. <laughs> yeah, well, that's the thing, and they want you to hand your kids over to the government. Yeah. So, But anyway, that's another Anyway, I'm sick of listening to me myself as well, and I want to hear no, these No, but voice. I wanted to say something else. We haven't, asked, um, we, <laughs> we haven't asked how many of you have actually yes. had anybody... Um, die from the jab or do you know anybody that's there died Jacinda take a look Costa Rich, Mr Proctor from the Defence Force take a look you clown this is what you're meant to be protecting and then uh, the last one that we like to ask is how many of you know somebody that's died of COVID okay one person died of influenza all right. Either yeah. way, pretty much every one of you in this room knows somebody that's died or um, had a severe reaction or a, an adverse event after the jab, but one person knows somebody who has died of COVID. So that shows you uh, that, you know, things are way out of whack at the moment. Yeah. Um, and I think that was, that was all in regards to the poll. Yep. Yep. So... Uh, Actually, I'm struggling to think of something, to be honest. I thought we had one more, but it doesn't matter. But at the end of the day, like we said, they are trying to kill you. Well, yeah, how many of you have been mandated out of a job? And through policy. Or yep. through policy, yep. yeah. Yeah, or out of study. Study as well, yeah. Yep. Out of education. 
Yeah. Who's had their asses right royally reamed by these bastards in Parliament? <laughs> I think that's pretty much all of us. <laughs> there you go. Um, and how many of you actually went to Camp Freedom or Wellington? Yay! All oh, of you. There we go. None of you have an excuse, given that it's just up there. Wow. Um, but yeah, if you want to r- tell us your story, that's a big part of what this tour is about. Down the back there, we've got um, the bunting that you can write down. You know, and this you- is live. You're on the hit list like us now. This is like Celebrity Squares, <laughs> Crime Watch. <laughs> Um, and if you've got a story that you'd like to tell on the bus as well, obviously the bus is here and we're recording uh, for a documentary. And please, at the end, uh, go and check out the bus if you like, because if you've been following along, you'll see where it came from and where it is now, and it's just transformed. And that's all because of you guys, because you guys have helped uh, either financially or, you know, you've helped with actually getting it um, renovated. Um, we've got some amazing people here who have been helping with merchandise as well. And this really is uh, the people's platform. This is for the people, by the people. So give yourselves all a round of applause. We thank you yeah, so you much for legends. having us. Okay. I'm getting the last word. Okay. I'm getting the last word because I wear the pants. Okay, go. <laughs> See, she's a female, got a dress. Um, this can't be possible without old Zulu over here. He's our poor suffering tech guy that we run through the ringer every day, day in and day out, every night. Six hours to set up. This is before you even turn up and then, of course, pack down after. So these guys have get very little sleep. Dana, the tour manager, Valkyrie down the back, got her back and helping her out all the time. Barack over there, not the Obama. <laughs> and Lisa down Lisa, the back. Lisa, Arthur, Paris the bus driver, of course. Yep, yep. Valkyrie. Yep, yep. Valkyrie. So that's our team. Goes all the legends. That's the real power. Mm. And the real power behind them is you. You power the engine of a counterspin. No one else. No Not fine Steve funding. Bannon. Yeah, because I'm sick to <laughs> Not Alex death. Jones. Hang on, is this camera? Okay, you pricks. We are not in any way, shape, or form funded by Alex Jones, although I wish I was. <laughs> Steve Bannon, I would take his too. Or the CCP. I don't know how you swung that one in there, but I'll take their damn money to use it against them, no problem at all. Fill it up. <laughs> anyway. So there you go. So thanks. We appreciate you guys coming. I want to hear what these guys have to say uh, because that's really where it's at. Your voice is really what's needed to be heard here. Thanks. All right. Thanks. Fantastic. Fantastic. A few things I took away from that was the networking. It's a good thing for everyone to do. Well, I'm involved with some groups actually and we're doing quite a bit of networking as far as doing gardening and we've got some other pod groups going where we're looking into alternative currencies and um, getting the communities together to do a few things. Um, You know, as I said, growing vegetables and um, back to basics really. And some of that sort of come about from, I suppose, what was going on at Parliament. Um, Seems like a long time ago now, but... um, I, uh, if there's anyone from any media here, I was not present um, and I didn't know about the um, trespassing, but I happened to turn up uh, on the um, 2nd of March. I was walking down Molesworth Street and um, happened to have my ski goggles in my pocket, <laughs> which I had to put on because there was all the smoke going on all over the place and uh, pepper spray and what have you. I ne- ended up like this, because there was all this bickering going on between the police and everyone else walking down Molesworth Street. 
So I thought I'd sort of get involved and try and keep everybody apart. Um, didn't really work. And then um, one of the police ended up, he quite liked my goggles and wanted to see how effective they were and tried filling them with pepper spray. Um, needless to say, it didn't work, but geez, my mouth and nose burnt like a mofo for quite a while. Uh, it was pretty, yeah. But I mean, from all of that came the experience of communities getting together. Um, quite amazing, still continues today. So for all, for all those that um, haven't looked into that, um, look into it. Um, speaking of masks, I just want to mention one other thing. We're all on time restraints, but I'll just mention this other thing. I was, um, I'd never really got involved in holding signs and being a sort of, I don't know, activist, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I went to uh, an event held by Freedom Rights Coalition for the very first time. And um, someone said, oh, there's a spare sign over there. Do you want to carry it? I was like, hell yeah. So I grabbed this and ended up doing the tour from the Civic Square up to the, up to the um, Wasp Nest. And um, that sort of got me thinking about things. So I've, I've been involved in a few sort of wake-me-up kind of events. And one of them we did down at the train station with um, um, Freedom Alliance here in, um, in Wellington with a group of people. And it was kind of interesting, you know, it's mentioned how Wellington is very corporate structured and uh, the yes sir, no sir, and it struck me how many people actually wear masks yeah. daily. Yeah. And we're, we're, so we're holding these signs trying to educate people and, um, you know, you've got people going, fuck off dickhead, and, and when I'm going, morning, morning, and it kind of got me thinking, you know, like, People feel it's okay to speak to you like that, but but at the end of the day, we're just trying to educate and um, hand a few signs out and say, you know what, it's not actually legal or, or illegal for you to not wear a mask, so don't wear it. I myself have never worn one. It's something that I do not do. I just think every day is 2019, really, and just go about my business. I don't really care if other people have got them. I find it very difficult to hear them. I'm at a counter and they're yeah. <laughs> excuse me, excuse me. <laughs> so um, if anyone's watching, you know, take your, take your mask off. You don't have to, you don't have to wear it. Um, but speaking of medical um, devices and what have you, I'm about to introduce someone that uh, a lot of you will be familiar with. And for those who aren't, we have a a person who's very well respected in the medical fraternity. Um, he's, he's had a bit of a rough ride because he stood up for his principles and for his morals and has been a person of great conviction. He's well loved in the community of Mana and Wellington in general and I would have to say probably throughout the country. He's one of the leading um, orchestrators of New Zealand Doctors Speaking Out With Science, or NZDSOS. Uh, he's uh, a man full of knowledge, compassion, and is someone very well worth listening to. So I'd like to introduce to you Dr. Matt Shelton.
thank you, Dean, and thank you, Kelvin and Hannah, um, for the invite. I got to say, um, I love sharing a stage with uh, with these guys um, because it makes me look reflective, conservative, <laughs> calm. Um, some of these things, some of these things, I ain't. Um, but but they're living proof that there is a space in the uh, the spectrum of of media and. Um, uh, human rights that is uh, that is empty um, and these guys are, are proud to fill it um, and I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity uh, essentially to reconnect with the Camp Freedom people and that's really mainly why I'm here um, is to you know meet some of the amazing friends that we all made you know almost in an instant because we all share so much in common uh, and I'm sure others will reflect um, I hope, and probably better than I can, um, because for start they've spent even more time than I did. But it's certainly probably the most potent and powerful experience um, of my life, um, apart from seeing my, seeing my son born, um, that I've, I've, I've ever had, and it'll always stay with me. Um, and I'll always be grateful and proud to be part of the, um, the river of filth um, <laughs> that... Um, And I'm sorry if I've stolen anybody else's line. Um, you know, it still, it still stuns me that, that things like that are said by people who've been part of, you know, the landscape of my decades living in this country, where it never occurred to me that in the future they may say things like that and behave like they've done. So um, I, I would like to say at the outset that actually I don't believe in capital punishment, um, and I wouldn't see anybody in gallows, but I do believe in justice, in natural justice, uh, and I do believe that there are, uh, there are crimes yet to be accounted for. Um, and I look forward to the day, um, particularly when people who've uh, been injured and people that have lost, lost loved ones, um, you know, get their chance to understand fully uh, you know, what may or may not have happened. So. So I have a piece of paper with some stuff written on it. Uh, most of it is written by my current lawyer, um, who I suddenly realized um, has given me a long disclaimer so that he hopes I have no, le no time left to actually say anything <laughs> and to commit further professional suicide. Um, but I, I do have to read this. Um, and it's a different version, maybe, to what you might have heard before. Um, because it's been a while since I've said anything in, in public. Um, so I, I, I admire him and, and like him enormously. I actually have two that I think are dedicated entirely to trying to keep me um, you know, upright and breathing and, and out of um, some secure facility. Um, and I give him sleepless nights, but as I said to him recently, why should we be the only ones not sleeping well? And I think we all you know, have a lot to be um, disturbed about in our quietest moments. So here goes. Last year I was suspended by the Medical Council for publicly sharing my views about you know what. I successfully appealed the Medical Council's decision to suspend me and the Medical Council's suspension decision was quashed. The Medical Council is still however looking at my conduct and it may well decide to formally investigate me. I am also the subject of an ongoing HDC investigation. Hang on, this is actually out of date. 
the Medical Council have formally investigated me, and they have announced they're going to resuspend me. So you heard it here, folks. The views that I hold and have shared publicly about you-know-what differ from what the Medical Council considers to be appropriate. My views are minority views in that they differ from what the majority of New Zealand medical professionals supposedly think. My views are contrary to the evidence set out on the Ministry of Health website. Well, <laughs> duh. <laughs> I've been spending too much time around this guy. <laughs> the views... Oh, I've done that bit. The views that I've expressed in the past and will express today are nonetheless my opinions, which are based on my personal review and understanding of the available evidence. That evidence is presented on the NZDSOS website, which anybody can access. I believe I am entitled to share my views with you, Provided in doing so, I make it clear at the outset that my views are not the majority or the consensus views. At the end of the day, it is the decision of each of you as to whether you should agree to you-know-what. In doing so, you should consider all the information available and come to an informed decision. From the outset, I want to be clear that it is not my intention to advise you against receiving the vaccine. I am a firm believer in informed consent. My view is that every person ought to make this important decision for themselves. Now, have I got any time left? Oh, yeah. You see, it worked. It worked. That's it. All, all gone, folks. <laughs> so having got that out of the way, uh, and still digesting what we as a group expected would come our way, um, it's still nevertheless sobering that we now have two pieces of evidence um, to prove that, in fact, a judicial decision in New Zealand courts is not the last word. We have the Defence Force case, where the judge found that the mandates uh, were unlawful. Uh, and the Defence Force, I understand, have just carried on regardless. Um, and we now have um, our case, mine and, and Peter Kennedy, um, who you've heard from already on the tour. Um, New Plymouth, yeah. I think who uh, both argued successfully that um, our suspension was disproportionate, uh, and the judge agreed. And in fact, the Medical Council threw everything that they possibly could at the judge, and our very non-legal um, assessment of what happened, uh, and if I can deign to paraphrase um, in, a, in, a, in a, a sort of jokey form, um, the judge said effectively, nah. You know, he said a lot more than that, you know, very sensible stuff, for which I'm very grateful. Um, but the Medical Council has moved, uh, using, as far as I can see, um, nothing new particularly, um, other than expressing uh, a new um, meme that we are faced with, which is that of bringing, uh, bringing our profession into disrepute. So when person A says to person B, um, you are bringing me into disrepute. Um, there's a very obvious answer that person B can give. Um, and I'm not going to insult your intelligence by needing to spell out what that answer can be um, here today. But it's you know, yet another sinister turn, we feel, um, in this 
complex and um, uh, confused, confusing, uh, and frankly, you know, frightening um, situation. Now, I, I do believe there's an illness, and I do know that people have died. However, even the mainstream media, um, you know, no longer dispute the view that this is uh, a man-made um, creature, and that um, there is increasing confirmation of um, foreknowledge, pre-planning. Um, you know, there is evidence that can be, you know, ignored, but it's not going anywhere. And NZDSOS has really only ever had one, um, I don't want to use the word corporate, um, we're an incorporated society, but we're not a corporation. Um, but essentially, we've had one strategic um, guide, a, a, a rule, and that is that we try and figure out what the truth is from all the available evidence, uh, and we tell it. And we let the, call, the, the cards fall where they're going to. We try not to be responsible for other people's reactions. Um, we're happy to walk alongside people with those reactions, but we can't be responsible for what those reactions are. And there is a mountain more, of course, of information that we should all be availing ourselves of um, than purely government sources. Now, we're all here, and I'm in the predicament that I'm in, because we are disobedient. We're naturally suspicious of authority because we understand that um, the root of all evil is money, that everybody in the end is corruptible and has pressure points and buttons and biases that can be manipulated and turned against us. And so many of our friends and families, and you know, we all share this experience, seem to have been turned against themselves and against um, you know, us as a sizable section of New Zealand society. And yet all we're guilty of is having our innate response that comes from deep inside, unchallenged by any other, to what we see and hear happening. You know, that, that's all we're guilty of, is having our experience of our reality. And we are stuck with this just as much as the people that criticize us and who get comfort in wearing their masks and prefer to accept what they're told. It's just as hard for those people to step outside of their um, innate responses. So we have to continue to have huge compassion, not just for each other, um, but for everyone. And you know, we will not stop and hold back from advocating for people who have tried to do the right thing um, to protect their communities, or been forcibly coerced into giving up their bodily autonomy to take a treatment for which there is no information about long-term problems. There's emerging confirmation that there are short and medium-term issues that need attention. Um, so people have given up a lot in order to get back what they think they had 
before all this started. And I think many of us understand that A, we didn't actually have what we thought we had, um, and that things ain't ever gonna go back the way they were either. You know, there are a number of lines that have been crossed that, you know, keep us all awake at night in terms of their implications, I'm sure. So we've got to keep connected, we've got to keep our networks together, we've got to be local, and this is very, very important. I'm part of numerous chat groups online with people all over the country and all over the world, but it's actually, it's the people that I know around the corner and in the next suburb that are going to be the most important um, for me, and I'm sure we all understand that. Uh, I'm probably getting near time to finish. Um, I actually had one wonderful gentleman actually fall asleep last night, um, and I love him dearly because he was one of my patients. Um, and I, I, gave him, I, I gave him permission to pop outside and lie down, um, although there, actually, there, was some, there was some spare seats. Um, but, you know, I know how every time I think, you know, I'm exhausted and I can't dig any deeper, I actually remember the situation I'm in and that we're all in. Um, and it's surprising, of course. You know, what we all know is, as parents of young children, actually, just when you think you can't dig any deeper and you can't carry on and you can't get up one more time or, you know, have a disturbed meal or a disturbed crap or whatever, um, you actually find that you can. You know, and it's only afterwards that you think, yep, I sort of mastered that. Um, but I just want to finish by touching on a, 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 a brand new subject, and, and in fact, a, uh, a virus called monkey virus that I, I can put my hand on my heart and say I'd never actually heard of until a few days ago. Um, so I was asked about it last night and was clueless. So I've done a bit of reading and things today, uh, and there's just a couple of observations I want to make. And the first is stay calm. <laughs> right. Everyone, stay calm. But I don't need to tell everybody that because it feels like we've been here before. So, you know, we've learned skills to cope. Um, and the other thing I've learned about uh, monkey virus is that it seems to be associated with or caused by something called MSM. All right? So there's, there's a couple of acronyms for MSM. Um, we know the first one, obviously, um, and I was trying to figure out, so what actually is MSM? And then I did a bit of research, and I figured it out. Men who have sex with monkeys. Okay? Because actually, a group that is being identified and, you know, laser-painted um, in the media already is men who have sex with men, the gay community. Now, I thought... I thought we'd moved on, and I think the gay community did as well, from the whole gay plague thing, you know, the, the, the HIV, the 1980s um, thing, but apparently we haven't, and apparently it's been resuscitated. So that's the extent of my uh, understanding so far. There's a lot more to learn. Um, it seems like it's quite hard to, hard to catch from other people. That's, that's the first thing I wanted to know. Uh, and, and there's a lot more mileage and, and um, river under the bridge, probably with this one. So I want to thank you for your attention. 
Thank you for your support. Um, I prefer not to be asked any more, um, oh, so you're still alive. Now, you know, I understand the, um, the energy behind the question, and many of us agreed um, at Parliament and, um, you know, elsewhere that what's going on at the moment is a hill that we may have to be prepared to die on, whether literally or figuratively. But I think if a lot of the people that we're fighting for would actually just stop and listen to us and recognize that we are actually fighting for them <laughs> as well as ourselves, yeah, exactly. um, you know, we might get somewhere a bit more quickly. Um, but stay strong and thank you for your attention. Yes, I have a sense of deja vu on the horizon. Um, but we have a raffle. So um, the first ticket's going to get drawn by Matt. You must have straight away, Colin. <laughs> <laughs> no, they're saying a label, Raffle. <laughs> Orange C013, C13. So that's Orange C013. Okay. So you've won. So, yeah, as Matt was saying, there's a lot of people giving up a lot. It's been a tough couple of years for a lot of people. Um, but also, as Matt's saying, you know, local groups, get to know your neighbour, get to know people like-minded. I mean, we've met so many new friends in the last couple of years. Like-minded people that are, um, you know, they've, they've given up a lot. There's, there's been a lot that's gone on as far as, um, you know, what people have lost over the last couple of years and it was interesting I was listening to a podcast the other day and it was to do with a, a prominent interviewer and was interviewing a, a guy by the name of Stephen G and th this this gentleman had lived in China for a number of years I've been to China a lot I was traveling there twice a year for about eight years on uh, buying missions and what have you I've been all over China and I was I was really quite amazed First of all, when I went there, I expected it to be, and this is no disrespect to the Chinese, but I kind of expected it to be three-wheel bikes with rice paddy hats and a whole lot of cabbages on the back of a trike. But I was absolutely surprised how advanced it was with um, all the latest convertible cars and Tag Heuer and you know Louis Vuitton shops and all this sort of thing. And uh, I was really quite impressed with how tidy it was, but it was very structured as well. And one of the things that I noticed off, off the bat was every city that you went to, you drive along the freeway, and as you drive into the city, you go through a toll booth with a zillion cameras all around, and you pay the toll, or you've got a card or whatever, so it's prepaid, recognises your number plate, or facial recognition, and you drive through. You want to leave that city? Same deal. You, whichever point of exit you go out of that city, you've got to go through another toll booth to get out. 
So they can effectively lock down every single city and uh, no one goes in or out. But the other thing that this guy was talking about was their social credit system that they've got. So, um, you know, if you've been a naughty boy jaywalking or a naughty girl sort of, you know, giving the fingers to the police or whatever, um, that facial recognition goes against your social credit score. So if you decide that you want to go and get a flat on your own or move in with your girlfriend or your boyfriend or whatever and um, you go in for an interview to go into the flat, the first thing they do is they look on your social credit score. Oh, I'm sorry. You don't have enough credits to take this place. And that's an actual fact. There are people that don't have enough credits to go into the structured tiered system within housing. They don't have the structured um, or the social credit systems to be able to leave their city. They get locked in. And it kind of got me thinking, what have we been doing here in New Zealand? We've had lockdowns where people are not allowed to leave their house. I'm not going to say it, but I did. I actually left the, the region. I went for a drive. But um, that's, that's, that's kind of my nature, I guess. I'm a little bit... Anyway, um, I don't want to get myself in trouble. But, um, you know, and then, and then you've also got people that if you still... I mean, everyone thought it was all over, but if certain people don't have a certain um, inoculation status, they still can't get a job either. So that's still going on. So, so the, the, credit, the social credit system is alive and well in this country, and don't forget it for a minute. And uh, we need to do something about it. And one of the people doing something about it is our next speaker. Um, this is a person that I, I, I had the pleasure of meeting um, basically when I did my first protest. Um, and I was struck with the calmness that he would be able to bring over the audience, um, his intelligence, and um, just his leadership when dealing with, with um, people and his organisation skills. I did see a, an incident and um, there was a bit of a scuffle going on in Parliament and there was all this stuff going on. And this gentleman was able to calm the farm and bring everybody back down to rationale. There was, um, things didn't get out of hand and it just all got diffused. He's a, he's a guy that um, has a lot of respect in the Wellington community. He's been involved in um, making awareness of of what the gov you know what the government is doing and how uh, things are turning topsy turvy. So I'd like to introduce you to a good friend of mine, Hecker. Thank you, thank you so much for the introduction. Uh, kia ora and greetings, everyone. It's so lovely to be here. Good to see you all here today. Uh, thank you, Calvin and uh, Hannah, for putting this on and for just, you know, moving through the country with what you do. I've always loved your work until I became the subject of it. <laughs> and then I went, oh, okay. <laughs> but hey, I think we've cleared the air and that's okay because that's the nature of what happened on Parliament. 
is that a whole lot of people from a whole lot of diverse backgrounds came together because we had one thing in common, but probably a hundred things that we didn't have in common. And we had to work our way through three weeks of figuring out that it's the one thing that we do have in common that has brought me here today. And that's what's brought us here this evening. So it's really, really good to see you all here today. You know, I'm a, I'm a, after following Dr. Shelton and following you, certainly, I must look really PC tonight. Uh, um, but you know what? That's, I've always been someone who's always been under the radar. I have never, ever wanted to stand up in front of people. I had speech problems growing up. I was always a shy boy in class. And so I thought I went to law school to get a law degree and, and be confident to stand up and to fight for my rights and justice. I spent about 25 years working for central government as a, a lawyer and a chief advisor. And I spent 25 years seeing no results being achieved. 25 years later, the statistics on crime, suicide, imprisonment, housing had all either stayed the same or gotten worse. I've been guilty of being part of decision-making processes that have seen millions, billions of dollars of taxpayer money go down the gurgler, and now I find myself in the company of people who actually do know how to get things done. And that's the difference between the crew that I used to hang with and the crew that have become my family now. I, after, thank you. You know, after, after uh, 25 years of being disillusioned, I thought the first 20 were great, uh, but then after five years, after 20 years, I started to think, oh, I'm, I'm dying a slow death. I hung in for five years longer, and then I, I moved away from government to a uh, commissioning agency. We were a bit ha ha arm's length from government. We could take more risks and do more things. But when we took more risks and did more things with people who were really doing the do, uh, we ended up putting a whole lot of hoops in front of them that they needed to jump through to get the money that we could free so freely get rid of. And even the commissioning work for me was quite demoralizing. So I stepped onto the community and I became a pastor. A pastor who would just sit there and love people and comfort people. And the last thing I want to do is to be standing out in the middle of Civic Square, leading marches to Parliament, holding banners up there, and, and doing the very thing that this very well-behaved Pacific Island boy was not brought up to do, or a church boy for that matter. But you all know which church I go to, so we're quite accustomed to um, being in the centre of the media. I go to Destiny Church, and everyone knows who, who the leader of the Freedom Rights Coalition is, Brian Tarmaki. And so this is, and I, I learnt to have a bit of grit. Now, I don't understand all about technology. I don't understand about medicine. I don't know all the ins and outs of the vaccination. I don't know the legalities, although I did a lot of it in law school. But one thing I do know how to do is how to stand up to a bully. And I decided I'm not going to sit there. I may not have the kind of knowledge, expertise, experience in certain arenas. But one thing I do know is that when I get a feeling that I'm being put in a cage, when I have a feeling while I'm being handcuffed, when I get a feeling that the New Zealand that I grew up in is no longer the New Zealand that I'm in now, then there's something pretty yucky in the air. It's like you can taste it in the air. And it's, it's vile. It's, it's not right. And I'm not going to stand up to I'm not going to not stand up to that thing. And so we've been doing this thing and everything that we did, leading the marches and pulling together and connecting with so many amazing groups. 
Voices for Freedom, Freedom Alliance, uh, you name every freedom name under the sun, we all came together and we showed what diverse groups can do when we come together. We showed each other that as inconspicuous and as anonymous as you would like to be, the power of your voice is very powerful in this nation. I was in Porirua yesterday and I was very disappointed that no one came up to me and told me to put my mask on. I was going, come on, come on, please, somebody, come on, somebody, please make my day. And because, you know, but it was good. And I would have thought, yeah, that's right, because you've all woken up. We're not woke, but we've woken up. And everyone is waking up. And even people who probably despised us while we were on parliament grounds are now starting to sheepishly make their way to our doorsteps and open their homes and invite us to family things again and invite us to be a part of their life because they're realizing, thank you for leading the way. Thank you for being bold and strong and courageous to stand up to the things that we probably always agreed with, but we didn't have the guts to stand up to. And this is what's happening now. Now, when I talk about Calvin, we only met probably on one night. There was another, there were a number of nights where things happened. And it was probably only one night when there was a big skirmish behind, what's the, is it Hill Street? something going on up there and so we we briefly had a moment just to shake hands and you know and I had I had a little bee in my bonnet and he probably just thought yeah well if you yeah whatever you know <laughs> but the, but the good thing is I saw my brother walking up to we were up by the portaloo you know the toilets the pea hive <laughs> yep and so we're walking past so we met at the pea hive and I just had time to shake your hand and I thought no this is yeah, and, that's, and I just thought, you know what, this is my brother, we are doing the same thing. For three weeks, we turned up on the first week, we were clear on what our objective was. But the longer we stayed there, the harder it was to retain control of what was going on. Control is probably not a word I'm allowed to use in this setting. But it was harder to, to just be on top of what was going on. And we attracted a whole lot of other interests, a whole lot of other motives, a whole lot of other causes. And next minute, you know, we're not just about the mandates, but we're about the pedophiles and every other thing under the sun. And I'll tell you what, in my time on Parliament, I was called every name under the sun. Trying to be someone who wants to be inconspicuous and mind his own business and hug and, you know, and tell people, oh, man, you're going to be good. But you're being up there, you're exposed. And I realized that we were in a position that it wasn't very well planned, but who, how can life be planned? Life just happens to you. A tornado just happened in Levin last night. You can't plan for certain things. But as we're going, every day you're going to be embroiled in controversy. And the diversity of groups that were there on Parliament, honestly, I was my greatest concern was those people in the Beehive are looking down at us and they're hearing, number one, which they try to use against us, a diversity of things that they don't know what they're standing for. They look like a lot of sheep who are scattered with a whole lot of different causes because we know the reporters, they come down, it's like a, uh, it's like a treasure hunt. Find a noose, find someone having a fight, Find a, a dog defecating on the floor, you know, and then we've got our story. And that sums up the entirety of this group of noble, hardworking, loyal, patriotic Kiwis who built this nation. What I saw on the three weeks in Parliament was Kiwi ingenuity at its best, where no one had to pay for anything and no one held anyone accountable for what they did and said, you owe me this, but everyone gave out of their abundance. And no one was measuring up, well, I gave that much, you only gave that much. Everyone gave out of abundance. No one went without need. I saw the power of unity when Kiwis come together. 
but I also saw the destructive force of disunity when people will disagree on things. And this is the type of thing that those people in that, that wasp nest, call it what you want, are looking out the window and they're thinking, this is, this is all we're interested in. What is different about them? What they can't agree on? That's why they try to take us out. That's why they try to define us as a group, an angry mob of people who can't agree on one thing. And then they swept us off Parliament steps three weeks later, and then they put that, that propaganda out, the spin out there, to say, man, we've gotten rid of this river of filth. We've cleaned it up, and now we can carry on with our lives. I was at Anzac Day, and I walked past the, um, after the ceremony, and it was a beautiful time up at the, the Cenotaph at the, the museum in Wellington, and I walked out with my mate who was there for his very first Anzac, and then I saw this room on the side of the, the street, and I went, oh, what's going on there? It must be a cup of tea. Oh, they put in a cup of tea. How nice and considerate of them. So I walked in, and I was walking up to get this cup of tea with my, my first-time Anzac uh, mate, and there were a whole lot of policemen lining up outside that place. And I went, oh, gee, they need to relax, you know. There's no terrorists around here. It's Anzac Day. And I walked in, and I thought, oh, there aren't many people at this cup of tea. <laughs> There's probably only a handful of people here. And I'm thinking, who are these people? And I'm thinking, okay, hello, Grant Robertson's there. Turn around here, hello, we've got the Governor General there. And you know, and I'm thinking, man, we've got the keeper, we've got the leader of the opposition there. The very people who could do something about what's happening in this nation and are not, but standing there enjoying a cup of tea on Anzac Day and celebrating what had been done or commemorating what had been done in the past, and yet knowing that they are fully responsible. And my young, my young, I don't know what you call him, he was a, he was a mate, he's a, a guy that I'm mentoring, and he thought, oh, we're not really supposed to be here, are we? And I thought, that's so good. Just eat your Anzac biscuit and just walk like we, you know. If anyone should be here, it's us. And he says, you know what? We walked out of there and he says, you are right. All these people in power and position, but yet the only ones who are doing something about it is us. We're the ones who are making change. That's us, the ones who are making change. I'm the only one. We're the ones who care enough about our country to make that kind of change. So we walked out of there, and I thought, I'm not going to spoil it. In memory of our soldiers, I'm not going to spoil your Anzac Day. Or I would be walking out with handcuffs. I didn't get to get arrested in Parliament. I'd finally get arrested on Anzac Day. But I thought, I'll let you have Anzac Day. But trust me, we aren't going away. This is not the last that you will see of us. That's my point here tonight. This is not the last that they will see of us. The season for open protests, you know, we made Civic Square our own, and that's great for a season. It's getting colder now, and we can do these things, but there are certain things that we need to start focusing on in the limited time frame that we have. And the biggest thing on Parliament for me, the biggest lesson was that united we stand, but divided we fall. And leading into the elections coming up next year, it's the same thing. United we stand, divided we fall. And so while these politicians are saying that's good, they're scattered, the scattered sheep are all running in all directions, we got rid of them, I love the fact that we can come together and say, well, no, just when you least expect us, we're going to be moving together. What we've been doing, I was in Tauranga last week on Monday, pulling together, uh, hosting with Brian Tamaki, the head of the Freedom Rights Coalition, and we pulled together some of the minor parties who are getting involved in that by-election. And really, just as you said, Kevin, it's a platform. It's simply a platform to bring people together and to force the next move of any would-be leader who would like to represent the freedom community or actually the, the nation of New Zealand. 
And so it was good to bring people together, to have these leaders stand up and say what they thought their priorities were, but more importantly, for them to hear from the floor what their priorities were. People weren't interested in the roading or anything else in Tauranga. The first question, the key question that came up was, when are you guys going to work together? What are you going to do to work together? Divided we fall, united we stand. We don't want to be wasting our votes, voting for all these amazing parties, and we all, we're all in agreement. No one person would have said something that anyone in the room disagreed with. We all agreed. We all agreed, so what's the problem? We've got egos, you know? We've got loyalties, we've got fears, we've got distrust, we've got suspicion about each other. There's paranoia floating all over the place. My biggest headaches were not coming for those three weeks. It was government that gave me my biggest headache. But for those three weeks in Parliament, the biggest headaches were coming from in, amongst us, in our midst, us not agreeing with each other, us trying to position and vie for position and not putting aside our egos. And this is what we said to Tauranga. You know, they, the three leaders stood up and we had one party. We had Sue Gray, the Freedom and Outdoors party. We had, who was the third one that we had there? New Nation Party. New Conservatives were supposed to be there, but they, they pulled out at the last minute. But we had at least three parties who were there who made a provisional commitment that, yes, we'll work together. Now, why, you could say, well, were they forced into that? You know what? The people had spoken and said, we're sick and tired of people standing up and not working together. How hard is it to work together? Three weeks on Parliament, I made friends out of enemies from week one. By week three, we loved each other, we trusted each other, we butted heads. My team would call me days and say, don't come in today because they're after you. Don't come in today because there are people who came to our tent looking for you. And I said to the team, you know what? My biggest lesson from Parliament, you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. But if you're too busy worrying about what people think about you, then it'll change the way you walk, it'll change your posture, and you will lose the conviction that you stand on. And I says, you know what, they might say you're this, they might accuse us of that, but what do you believe? Are you making a difference? Turn up every day. And I said to the people there, I will never run from a fight. I will turn up every day because I love this country. I will turn up every day because for my son and my daughter, my voice is the most powerful voice in this nation. And every single individual Kiwi should be feeling the same way. We said to everybody, and I love the fact that you've come here, thank you for bringing us together today. Because a lot of us, it's a reunion. We need another two hours just to hug each other and say, what have you been up to? How's life been? But it's the key thing about coming together and maintaining the platform and for the people to speak to any would-be leaders or representatives. You tell us what you're doing. Not only the, those who are currently in government, they don't count. They're irrelevant. None of them came out to see us on the steps. So as far as I'm concerned, none of those 120 people in Parliament represent me, not one of them. So they are out of the picture as far as I'm concerned. But if, unless we get together, I think the last elections, there was, a, it was about, was it about 7.5%, the percentage of the minor parties who stood? And that would have, of all minor parties, that would have amounted to nine seats in Parliament. And so we've got to get serious between now and the elections. We've got to get serious about the platform where we can have these discussions to push the, I guess, the, the issue with any would-be leaders of all these different parties and say how hard it is. We could turn up on Parliament and just create 
a, a picture of New Zealand society right out there in the middle of Parliament. In three weeks' time, we could have done that. In three weeks' time, people who started as enemies became frenemies, and some even became friends. You know? We did some impossible things, and there were certain other gripes that I thought, give me another week, and I'm going to win you over. You're going to be my friend as well. And we are shown, we've proved this is how you, New Zealand can get united. If we could do that, it was like a petri dish, a snapshot of the very best of New Zealand. And I believe that out of Parliament steps, the, the, the greatest heart of the nation just left that stronger and a greater resolve. We've said to people, text 5477 support, text support to 5477. This is our next move, and we've done it in Christchurch, we've done it up in Auckland, uh, in Tauranga, we're launching in Wellington next week. Text support to 5477 if you want to continue to be part of a platform which will establish in every single electorate around the country where we can start to build that argument, build those consistent questions right throughout the country. Wellington not doing its own thing, we're all doing it consistently around the country where we can canvas every leader and, and force them to a point where, I'm sorry, but you've got to come together. There are ways that have been proposed. They've, they've proposed formulas of how to happen. And I think, yeah, that's good. I like that one. I don't like that one. But hey, it's not beyond us to be able to do that. And so I'm so happy to see my family again. I'm seeing faces. I'm just I'm dying to come and give you a hug. But it's great. I'm, I was honoured to be there on Parliament steps. I was honoured to walk alongside people who have the same conviction and purpose with me, even if you don't have the same belief as me. But this is what I am as a New Zealander. This is what we are as New Zealanders. And so I hope that you will come and join these, these platforms. And someone said to me, well, can I trust that platform? I said, well, you can trust it if you're a part of it. You can trust it if you come and take ownership of it. And you can trust it if you come and make sure that your voice is the loudest voice. Tech support to 5477. Uh, we're launching in every electorate here in Wellington, and we're going to pull all these leaders in to say, come on, we've got about six months to get our, get our crap together. <laughs> all right? We've got about six months to get it together. That ain't gonna, we're not going to wait until the night before elections. We're saying, lease us your vote. Lease it now, so we send a clear message that, that this body is moving in power. We're not going away. We're not getting separated. We're actually getting closer and closer and closer together. I want to honour all of you for the inspiration that you've been to me. It's a real pleasure to be able to walk in this walk with you and to make our country a much better country. Love you guys. God bless. Awesome. Thanks, Heka. Okay, the next drawer is a C040. C040. And that's also orange. Any takers? That's for the raffle, C040. Okay, so a um, couple of things I take away from that. I grew up in New Zealand as well. And uh, most certainly it's a changed country. You know, we've got a, there's an eclectic mix of society that was at Parliament, and as Hecker said, it's a lot of unity came from that place. And the election coming up is essentially going to be probably the most important election of our generation. And we really need to have a unified vote. I've looked at the statistics from the last election, 
and there were somewhere in the vicinity of 240,000 votes that went to minor parties scattered across maybe 14, 15 minor parties, somewhere around there. 240 plus thousand votes that went nowhere. ACT got 11 people into Parliament with 219,000 votes. Right, so be aware, keep watching, keep a lookout for what's going on. There will be some information and some news that will be coming to light over the coming months uh, and into the new year as um, some means to see what's going on with the, lo with the minor parties. And as Hecker said, there's, um, there is, I know there's a lot of talks going on to try and get some unity between the parties. And the biggest barrier of unity within parties is egos. So I'm hoping, like probably all of you, that the, the parties can actually form some dialogues, form some unity, and work for the best, and do the best for New Zealand and New Zealanders, because that's what we want. Um, speaking of, um, you know, uh, voices and what have you. When I when I was growing up, the university league were some of the strongest, most vocal groups around. Um, that seems to have been stymied in the last few generations. Probably in the last thirty years, actually, when I really think about it. I remember, you know, if you have a vision of your head of the young ones, I don't know if anyone remembers that sitcom. <laughs> You know, you had Viv and Rick and those guys. And they were out stirring the pot. They were out, especially Rick. He was out there doing it. He was a wild guy. We don't see that anymore. However, we have our next speaker. She is a university student and has stopped studying because of the mandates were imposed. And, you know, how would we feel going through, well I never went to university, but I mean, you know, how would people feel all of a sudden their studies are stopped and they've had to rejig things and, you know, worrying about their future and worrying about getting their degrees and all that sort of stuff. I mean, they've, they've had a hell of a task, but some have actually now started doing something about it as well and speaking up. So I'd like to introduce you to Maggie, who's from that very sector in the university. So give us a warm welcome for Maggie. So um, hello everyone, thank you very much. Um, I'd like to preface this with, although I might look very intimidating, uh, I am not really a huge fan of violence personally. Uh, the last time I tried to play a virtual reality game with my friend, I couldn't even beat up the guy. So I'm not sure how I'd feel about prime ministers and gallows, but I'm just here for, for some love and peace for everyone. So, <laughs> nah. So as you all probably know, growing up is pretty hard, but I'm here to just tell everyone of you about how just much harder it's been for us over the past two years being selfish, dangerous people wanting things like freedom, informed consent, and freedom of speech, especially. 
Now, I'm aware that this might get out to some mainstream media, so I would just like to clarify that I believe freedom of speech means the freedom to express yourself and express what you think. And that to me is very important because even if I'm thinking something, even if you don't let me say it, I am still going to be thinking it. And even if you don't let me say it, I'm still going to be thinking it and it is going to influence my behaviors. So even if I walked around uh, as a bonkers crazy lady with my mouth duct taped shut, you're not going to be able to stop me from doing bonker lady things. And um, thankfully, my mouth isn't duct taped shut yet. And so I like to take the opportunity to uh, share a few stories, ask a few questions that we all kind of have, and invite discourse with anyone on the outside who might see this and not agree with me. So... A uh, brief background on me, my dad works for a council and he was a doctor and a pharmaceutical salesman in China. So that's enough said. My mum was um, showing me like the videos of people falling over in Wuhan on her phone on WeChat, like, Maggie, look at this, we're all gonna die. And I believed her. So when I was going shopping at Pack and Save, I had like my mask, took my baby wipes with me and I like wiped down the shopping trolleys and my steering wheel and my groceries when I was coming back. So I was very scared. But then when the vaccine mandates started being talked about, that was when something felt a bit wrong. I had some previous experience with illness to know that health, true health, isn't ever as simple as a one-size-fits-all injection. And then the more I thought about it, especially with hearing about adverse reactions and such, then lockdowns, but they kept the alcohol stores open as an essential service when alcohol weakens the immune system and we're in the middle of a pandemic. And so that just didn't, like, even with my university brain, that didn't make sense. All right? It's true, though. It's true. So luckily, I was fully woken up when I just happened to bump into some ladies from the Freedom Alliance. And, like, it was all very, like, oh, real-life conspiracy theorists. This is going to be fun. And so I, I sat down with them, and I was like, I'm going to go ask them some questions. And I did but like jokes on me because they answered all of them very well. And then I was thinking, am I the one that's crazy? Were they the ones crazy? And so they gave me their sources. And I mean, frankly, the graphic design put me off a little bit, just a little like helping tip out there. Uh, but I took it home and I was like, they've sourced everything. So like, I'm going to go have a look. And I had a look, a lot of rabbit holing. And then, yeah, they were kind of onto something. And so I decided in the end that I was going to hold off on the jabs. But that was a hard decision. There was a lot of pressure from my GP and like my parents. And my grandma was like, I'll give you $1,000 if you get the jab. And I'm like, what? What is this? Uh, lots of difficult conversations with friends. I've lost a few that were pretty dear to me. Um, uh, a lot like resented my family for a long time because they, they just don't want to hear about it. Uh, I got uh, mandated out of uni, but to be honest, I didn't really want to go back anyway, so I had it easy. But a few of my friends, they did not. So one of them, she got a $17,000 scholarship to go up to Auckland University. But because the COVID ha uh, the halls are being mandated, she had to give that one up for a slightly smaller $14,000 scholarship. 
So she went up anyway, knowing that there were the COVID-19 protection something rathers in place, but expecting to kind of be able to work around them like online and such. But a week in, she goes up and finds out that the labs are mandatory because it's a science degree and they have to be in person, but she can't go. And so she couldn't do that. And so she had to drop her courses. And even though one professor was really lovely and said that she, uh, he would do anything for her to stay in her course, another one just told her to like get out of my class. And so in her words, it was cry, cry, cry and back home down to Wellington. And then another friend of mine, she's an international student. She has to get her student visa renewed yearly. But this year, she had to uh, get a police clearance check from her home country, even though she hadn't been there for two years because of COVID. And that process required uh, getting fingerprints uh, validated to prove her identity. But the fingerprinting services are in person. And so she couldn't go in without a vax pass. So she had to go and get her VAX pass, rebook the appointment, and then get her student visa renewed. So apparently you cannot have an education unless you give up your bodily autonomy. Although, to be honest, at this point, um, schools aren't really educating us on much um, on how to actually think and use our brains. <laughs> I could, I could go on for a long time about that, but um, I think that's also part of the reason that I, I've, over this, have realised I don't know anything about how the world works. Maybe like the other young people out there know a bit more, but I, I had no idea. I thought that I was under the illusion that people like up there were forced to do things for the good of the country and that there were kind of rules in place. And from what I've seen over the past two years, that's like half true. Because you have your like New Zealand Bill of Rights 1990, uh, Section 11, saying, um, oh my gosh, everyone has the right to refuse medical treatment, right? But then the government's like, ha, psych, no jab, no job. And then just, it, it, and they just do it, right? And then it took 10 months for the courts to law, um, rule the Defence Force and Police as unlawful and then stuff like in all the mainstream media out here care more about which celebrities are pooping in each other's beds than when the government <laughs> imposes unlawful mandates and it's just like why what is happening why am i how do i trust authority when they treat us like this right yeah ah oh, jeez yeah and as a, as a young person with morals, I mean, I'm just speaking for myself here, this isn't really encouraging me to join society. And in a society where I have to argue with people and they go like, nobody's forcing you to get vaccinated. You, you chose to like not be able to enter cafes. You chose to be mandated out of university. But that, like, if I walked up to the same person and said, hi, let me force feed you cockroaches because I think they're good for you or I'll punch you in the face. They will call the police on me that they don't eat those cockroaches, even though by their logic, they chose not to eat the cockroaches and get punched in the face. Oh. <laughs> uh, a lot of people these days 
like viruses apparently don't follow logic, like how the vaccination protects people from COVID, but not from the unvaccinated. Sometimes the world, the world is just so insane. I, I question whether, whether it's actually me that's insane, right? Like, like, is it me that's insane or a society where I have to mentally prepare to step out of the house and go into a shop without, like, without my mask on? Because people who haven't read the mask legislation rules think that I have a fake exemption and then try to police it like they have a right to my medical information. Hmm. Is it me that's insane or a society that doesn't question when the government mandates that we inject substances into ourselves sold by Pfizer, a company which I quote, has persist, uh, been persistently engaging in illegal and corrupt marketing practices, bribing physicians and suppressing adverse trial results. And we have seen firsthand experience that this happens. So... When the world is crumbling and you see people punished for standing up for the truth, your spark, like, it just really dies. Things like creativity and fun and exploration and curiosity, you know, like all the good stuff, it just dies. Because it feels like there's just no point in doing anything good anymore because all it's going to achieve is make your life hard and difficult. But... Maybe that's not entirely the case. I mean, like, standing up here and seeing so many of you out here, it's just, oh, warms my heart. Like, this whole thing, it's, it's been a fiasco, but I reckon if I could go back in time and change it, I might say I wouldn't. And I know that's because I'm definitely one of the luckier ones, but the, crea uh, the community and the friendships that this has created, it's something I wouldn't trade. I mean, like, we were all, like, Parliament, Freedom Village. That was only 23 days. Imagine what we could do in, like, a year. Yeah. Um, one of my friends would like to say that he's very grateful that he's had his uh, midlife crisis over good and early. As... Um, <laughs> As long as it's, 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 the, it's the one that the mainstream media think are white supremacists, if you guys have seen that floating around. But um, yeah, uh, as long as he doesn't die at 40. Uh, we've, had, we've had a lot of relationships tested. Uh, we've learned to let go of um, people who might not be ready to face the reality. But the people who have been willing to or have enough love to hold space and be willing to try and listen to us, those connections have deepened immensely. Um, we've learned a lot, a lot of new skills and definitely know what skills are actually important, like not ones that feed the like, materialism and consumerism that we're just, it's so tempting. It is so tempting when it's kind of all you ever know. Um, we've definitely found the very depths of ourselves, or at least I have, like the first time going out without a mask. It's such a little thing, but it was really scary. Um, yeah, but having friends out there who like supported me and like just helped me through it, that made an unbelievable difference. So I had some pretty dwindling hope until I found all of you guys, but having you guys out here, we all really appreciate it and it's definitely something worth living and worth fighting for. So thank you. <laughs> That's awesome, Maggie.
C19. So, yeah, well done. So, um, you know, one of, the, one of the things that quite often pops up is the word conspiracy theorist. I like to term it conspiracy analyst. We're, we're, we're quite often analysing all this stuff and uh, quite often we're right at the end of the day. Um, and, and also, you know, one of the big messages coming from, from, through from all the speakers is about um, unity and about people hunkering down. We all know there's a – I don't know how much it's going to affect New Zealand, but the food crisis is on the horizon. The farmers are talking about it. I mean, geez, look at the price of diesel. It's going through the roof. So, um, you know, if, if, um, if you haven't done already, get a garden growing in your backyard or front yard or wherever, on your porch and buckets, because you might need to. And, and um, you know, if I could give one tip to anyone, it's grow potatoes, carrots and um, silver beet. You can't go wrong, grow it all year round, and at least you're going to have something to, you know, feed yourself or friends and family. And it's good. It's great. Grow your own tomatoes. I mean, they're better than the store-bought ones anyway. With so much more flavour. I do organic growing. I mean, crikey, who would thought you could grow pineapples in Wellington? Or bananas. I've got a banana palm. I haven't had any bananas off it yet, but I've got a banana palm. <laughs> and I've even got sugar cane. So I'm, I'm prepping. That's a sweet tooth in me. But, um, you know, one of the things that's happened as well is there's been a lot of segregation with all this vaccine palaver. Um, but it's it's caused a lot of uh, conviction with 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 uh, people, and particularly when it comes to family. And um, you know, there's nothing. Don't get in the way of a mother going to protect her child, right? Like if you stand in the way, you're gonna get steamrolled. Likewise with a father, a father is gonna protect particularly his daughter. I've got four daughters also, by the way. Um, and you'll do anything for your, for your daughters as a father. In fact, you'll do anything for your kids. Our next speaker, who has also drawn that line in the sand for his children, and it was another occasion where I got to hold a sign at a public event, and that was around the time when they were bringing out the... Um, the mandate for um, allowing children to be jabbed in schools. And so we went along and there's a group of us, so I got wind of it and I'm, yeah, I'm in. And so we, we went out, out there and um, held a few signs and made a few parents aware. And it was kind of interesting. In the time that I've been doing these, what we call pop-up signs, the mindset of the general public has kind of wavered quite a bit over the last two years. When we were first doing it, there was a lot of waving and what have you. Then it sort of got into more of the abuse. You know, the thumbs down and the fingers. <clears throat> yeah, I've had one shot. No, I've had two shots, you know. But all the time, you just wave. You know, they know not what they're doing. And um, nowadays, they're like, geez, you bastards were right. <laughs> they don't really want to look at you. 
but um, you know, this this parent he he got a he heard about the vaccination going on in the school, so he rallied up and and it was saying no. And um, so I'd like to introduce you to Daniel, and he's going to tell you his story and um, a bit of a video as well. So Daniel, welcome to the stage. Hi. So uh, we did have a bit of a video, but um, uh, because of the soundtrack on it, we uh, can't actually play it, at least during the live stream. So maybe we can have that after. Um, yes. Uh, uh, I'm from uh, Taita in Lower Hutt. Yeah, my two daughters are sitting here with me. Uh, and it was one of my daughters that um, was going to Tyra College that uh, texted me in the middle of the day saying uh, that uh, they're going to have a vaccination clinic at her school. Yeah, and uh, it was all, okay. It was, uh, I flipped off an email to the principal saying, I don't think this is a good idea. Can I come meet with the uh, board? Yeah, and um, yeah. The response was, yeah, but not until after the, yeah, after the um, uh, clinic has actually happened, so a bit of a waste of time there. Then a couple of days later, uh, she texted me saying, you know, in the school notices, which they have on their school app, that they are you know, offering po house points for the kids. That really got to me, you know, we, um, yeah, you know, something, yeah, bribery, you know, you know, coercion, you know, this is a school which is very sporty, so house points, you know, that, that is part of you know, the ethos there, it's part of the thing, it's, yeah, you know, it was, you know, sort of really upsetting, so, um, I had some conversations with some people, uh, the concerned parents at Law Council they sort of helped me with a bit of a press release which shared my opinions and that resulted in you know, Voices for Freedom and Freedom Alliance you know, sort of you know, saying, yep, yeah, we're going to come and stand with you, you know, outside Tyler College. We had 50 over 50 people a day, two days in a row, the day before and the day of the vaccination clinic. Yeah, you know, all organised for them. All organised within 36 hours, in 48 hours, you know, from the first notices going out over the internet to these people turning up. You know, and you know, a third to maybe half of the people were different on the second day than from the first day. Yeah, you know, so thank you to all those that did you know, come out and all those that supported from behind. You know, we've heard of, heard of a lot of other people that said, oh, I wish I could have been there. You know, and, you know, that connected me more with Voices for Freedom, Freedom Alliance, you know, and we have great, great community. You know, we have a great community. Not all, all the people in uh, Wellington uh, are uh, uh, public servants and uh, wedded to the government. Um... Yeah, yeah, so I'm appreciative to those that 
you know, that stood with me. You know, and it, we had a great time. The uh, issue I actually came to speak you know, to, uh, tonight about most is actually quite far removed from little old Taita in the Hutt Valley. You know, it's an issue which, you know, as you know, was mentioned, you know, um, really is affecting us. It's affecting us every time we go and put petrol in our vehicles, diesel in our vehicles. It's affecting the cost of the food on the grocery shelves because the cost of transport is going up. And whilst it's being blamed on some uh, uh, war going on in the Ukraine, we're being lied to. We have a government that has stood by and done nothing while the refinery that refined our fuel got shut down. The company that we paid for, it was a joint partnership between the government and the company when it was first formed, but we New Zealanders paid for it. We paid for it every time we filled up our vehicles. It used to refine 70 to 80% of our fuels. That was turned off on the 1st of April. It was pulled apart, cleaned out, and now they are deciding whether or not they're going to permanently dismantle it, sell it for scrap. We are a nation which is far away from where the fuel is meant to come from. Most of it's Southeast Asia, Singapore in particular. It takes 18 days for the ships to come from Singapore to New Zealand. If they actually get here, there's already one report that a uh, ship was diverted that was supposed to be going to Australia with fuel. Yeah, uh, Mid-voyage, the UK popped up and said, hey, we'll pay you two million bucks more if you come and you know, deliver to us instead. Feeling vulnerable yet? Yeah, me too. So, what do we do? $500 million to buy it, the refinery, buy the whole company out. Don't know if we're going to pull that one off. Mind you, we as a country are actually sitting on our own oil fields. Taranaki produces about 20% of the oil that we could use. Most of it goes to Australia. The, uh, uh, down the South Island, we've got unexplored oil reserves. We have enough oil reserves that we know about to last us at least 10 years if we tapped it all. There's the Hikarangi Trench. Huge amounts of methane that's just leaking out of there. You know, that's our natural gas that we could have. We used to run our cars on CNG back when I was a kid. Good fuel. 
bit unwieldy in terms of uh, the uh, tanks that were bolted on in the back seat of our station wagons, but we've got technology, we can get around that. So, New Zealand could be energy independent, I've looked at the numbers. We certainly get enough LPG out to more than meet our needs, we actually sell some of it overseas. We get enough oil out to, uh, right now, fuel at least 20% of our uh, transport needs. But our refinery can't refine all of it. Our refinery is um, was tuned for sour crude, uh, coming mostly from the uh, Arabian Peninsula and up around the uh, northern part of the world up in the northern hemisphere, but we could do it. We actually at one stage had, at Methanex, a plant that would produce nearly 40% of our petrol. What are we doing being beholden to the oil companies who aren't based in New Zealand? They're all multinational corporations. What are we doing letting them control us? Letting them put us under this system where they can squeeze us and squeeze us and squeeze us. The price of fuel, we're going to see five bucks at a litre at least before the end of the year. What do we do about it? We need to stand up and we need to speak. We need to speak clearly. This is not acceptable. There are no easy answers in this. Like I say, $500 million to buy the refinery. Yeah, if it's still able to be recommissioned. At this stage, I believe it is, but it's not going to be um, like that for too long. From what we uh, hear... Yeah. Oh, and by the way, why was it shut down? It was not profitable according to the company, but the information coming out from the operators of the refinery was that it was actually being sabotaged by design. There's a bigger agenda here. There's fuel, uh, these food crises that are being talked about they are being engineered. How will they do it in New Zealand? Cut off the fuel. No machinery to turn the soil over and plant the crops in spring. No machinery to harvest the crops if they ever get planted. No trucks to distribute it. Or very few. You want to kill a population, like New Zealand, cut off its fuel supply. The solution, I don't know. But we need to start talking about it. We need to start figuring out how we are going to take this back. 
we need to start figuring out how we're going to take control of our energy, of our food supply. Making sure we are resource, have the resources in place so that when, the, uh, when this plan is implemented by the elite to shut the country down, that we can still function. I'm an IT guy by trade. I'm watching what's going on with, you know, within the, you know, the space, particularly with our internet. You know, with the government and Internet New Zealand and all these you know, think tanks working to squeeze our ability to communicate. Will we see them cutting off our internet connections? I don't know, I actually think that probably not. They'll restrict it. They'll try and filter out our ability to communicate uh, freely. But they won't cut it off because they rely on it to control us. They rely on it to watch what we're doing. There's one thing that I'm going to suggest that everybody does. If you've got a phone, Android phone particularly, turn off your Google account. Get rid of it, get rid of Gmail because that is the easiest way they can track you. We cut them off from that information. We cut them off from being able to see, and I actually uh, have uh, personally witnessed this with a couple of uh, people that were at the uh, protest you know, that were being considered somebody of interest, that were having their phones uh, made unable to communicate over signal uh, via the mobile network, that were being tracked to the point where they would walk into a shop, the phone would ring, and they would be told, do not serve that person. No. How? Because Google gives them the data. They, the police say, we're interested in that person. Now, give us all the data about that. GPS data. Even if you've got GPS turned off, it's still a GPS. Gives them a pretty good proximity. The data about what services you're communicating with. What your IP address is. You know, great way if they want to get into the phones. You know, and actually manipulate them. That's not unheard of in New Zealand either, from what I gather. So, delete your Google accounts. Move your email away from Gmail. Use ProtonMail. I'm working on actually putting up a new email service uh, probably end of next month you know, that will be available and run on servers here in New Zealand. We'll see how that goes. And... Uh, yeah. Um, and we need to keep working together. We need to keep working in our communities. You know, Voices for Freedom and Lower Hut, connected communities, fantastic. Join them. They'll help you with your gardens. They'll help you with uh, talking about cryptocurrency, talking about finances. You know, um, and we will talk about how we can deal with these energy crises that are coming along as well. And I don't think EVs are going to be the solution somehow. 
you know, these coal-powered EVs. <laughs> anyway, I hope that um, I haven't dragged you down too much. Now, I do want to say, you know, I remember seeing a lot of you actually at the uh, protest at Parliament. You may not recognise me because I used to have grey hair and a big long shaggy beard. Even my friends from VFF didn't recognise me. I shaved it off just last night to look like Calvin here. <laughs> but yeah, keep working in your communities. Start working in your street. Meet your neighbours, talk to your neighbours about what's been going on in this world, about you know, the virus, about the masks. If we work in our communities and we grow our influence in our local communities, then that opens up the opportunity for us to do things like influence local body elections. We need good people standing in our local body elections. We need good people on our local boards. We need good people standing in the committees for our electorate. And uh, we need good people serving as scrutineers in our electoral system. Lots of them. Because I don't believe the last election was a fair representation of what the polling said. Anyway, thank you. Orange C10. Yeah, awesome. I mean, uh, at the end of the day, there were th projects like Think Big. The media made Robert Muldoon to be a some sort of controlling narcissist. But at the end of the day, he was just wanting to do things for the country. And... Um, Basically, when cause someone said to me, oh, when do you think it all changed? And I said, well, about the time Roger Douglas got in. And they basically wholesaled all of our strategic assets out the back door and sold it to all their mates from overseas and all their, um, you know, bankers and all the rest of it. So, yeah, Marsden Point is a strategic asset. This country was paid for by the taxpayer sold off by the government to corporate interests and now they're about to destroy the whole thing and leave the country in the lurch and at the mercy of overseas shipping. And if anything to go by, I've, I've been involved in um, importing and I know the turmoil that it can be getting, getting freight into the country on occasions and um, in, in today's environment it's a scary prospect. Now, the next, um, next speaker has a very long resume. Um, I'm not going to read it all out. I'll let him actually do um, most of the introduction, I think would be fair to say. We are a little bit over time. Um, but I have to say, the resume is very impressive. This is a gentleman that's 
um, been a leading Māori artist in New Zealand. He's had a long, distinguished career, um, both in the police as well as a bodyguard, uh, which I found kind of interesting as well. Um, he's uh, been a bodyguard for various entertainers, like the Rolling Stones. That would have been cool to be a bodyguard for those guys, see what's going on. Um, he's, he's a very prominent uh, person who... Uh, organised city festivals. He has won a Fulbright Award and has travelled overseas to do with his um, hobbies and interests in his career. So I'd like to actually get you to give a warm welcome and a big hand to Darcy Nicholas. I feel a bit shy to speak after that introduction um, because within myself I'm actually a fairly humble person um, but at the same time I, I can't be bullied um, and a lot of people call on me to sort of um, help them um, but if you lose hope there is no future okay so I have a vision uh, which says that um, I see a country where everybody helps each other, where everybody respects each other, uh, and we build a future for our children and our grandchildren to live in successfully. I also see a world like that because I work comprehensively amongst Native American people and people in Africa. Uh, and I'm also aware that there was never such a thing as a Maori. Okay, that's a colonial title that's actually given to us. Uh, we are a multitude of things. We didn't all arrive in seven canoes all at once. Uh, there were people here years before that, okay, and some of you who were Spanish or Portuguese or African or come from parts of Asia, uh, we are all part of you and you are part of us. And that is the nation that we have here today. We were known mainly for our tribal variances. So 40 years of my life was traveling all around the world, uh, establishing these networks all around the world. But I have this vision for our country, which we must work towards, because if you don't have a vision, you don't develop a strategy. And from that strategy, I talk about leadership. I was just talking to a group at Mahanga Bay today. And leadership in very simplistic terms is like this, your hands, okay? Okay, where you have people who are highly skilled in what you want to achieve. Those are those people. And you have a couple of people who are responsible for making sure that happens. What must not happen is for those people to make all the decisions of our future because the real future is in the thinking and the intelligence of your nation. Okay, and you have to pull all of that together and you have to be able to contribute to it and you have to be able to support it. Okay, that is our future. We are mana whenua. Whenua, my, one of my tribes is Te Atioa. I have about five or six other tribes as well. But one of my tribes is Te Atioa. And many years ago, I was called in with Wira Gardner to restructure the Department of Māori Affairs. And one of my jobs given to me was the 14 tribes between here and up to North Taranaki. It was the most difficult of them all. 
Uh, I was the youngest of the general managers selected to do it, and today I'm and I am the only survivor of the Iwi Transition Agency senior management. The rest have all passed away. I managed to secure that for all of my people, and it includes Teatiawa here, who is the mana whenua. I'm on the tribal council of Teatiawa, and I established the Runanga. So. What happened? What happened to all of this now? I've changed this about five or six times, okay? As I heard different speakers talk about areas that um, uh, I sort of had an idea about talking about as well. So I talk about hope, I talk about vision, I talk about strategy for the future. And that's what we have to do, okay? Otherwise there is no hope and there is no future. And we need to talk about that now. Yeah, we need to talk about it now. When we talk about mana whenua, whenua is the placenta, okay? The placenta of the child that is taken from the mother and put in the ground. In our tradition, we buried the placenta at the bottom of ancestral trees, okay? And from those trees, we did our carvings, and that was the connection and the sacredness to that ancestor. So every individual in this room is a living ancestor. Okay, you carry the genes, the knowledge of your parents, your grandparents, and all of those before you. One of the great things about this is this thing of called we call knowledge. Okay, knowledge is very important, and that will help us into the future. As you build on it, you exchange knowledge, and you become smarter people. If you don't exchange that knowledge and help each other, you lose your potential. So when we talk about mana whenua, our mana is to look after that land. Okay, we have to look after the placenta of our people buried in that land. Over many generations, many of you have now lost loved ones who are buried in this land, okay? That's why I say it's a combined thing between us as mana whenua, as Maori, it's important that we work together, okay, and we build a nation together, not separately, not separately. One of the problems we face in building it separately, and you'll find this if you study it in depth, is a lot of our runanga and, and a lot of our iwi are funded by government. Okay? When you're funded by government, your very existence depends on the money that government gives you. Okay? Now, I work with a lot of our tribes and say be careful of it. With land claims we have made, those groups are becoming independent. Now, just very simply in this area here, our people are divided. I, I'm, I'm quite open about it. A lot of our people are divided. Their personality conflicts, their family conflicts that are years old. Uh, where you can be accused of something that happened 100 or 200 years ago. Uh, for example, um, my mum and dad, uh, my mum always said, uh, boy, don't trust those Tainui people, those Waikato people, okay? And then I discovered after my mum passed away that my dad was Tainui. <laughs> and I said, Dad, what was this all about? And he said, well, boy, you know, we don't like to talk about those things. But I said, Dad, it's very important that we understand that. Our tribes all battled with each other, okay? We fought against the colonial government who came in. 
And Kim Hill did an interview with me and said, how come you're not married to a Maori? Because my wife's from Aberdeen, you see. And uh, I said, well, it's like this, you see. All the, all the Maoris around me were my, my sisters, my cousins, and close relations. <laughs> it's the same as all the, the other people uh, who came around here with Pākehā. They were in the same boat, all their cousins and relations. They were all around each other. So we looked across uh, the river, I often say, because that's how it ended up. And we started taking a fancy to each other. So my generation intermarried. Okay, my generation, born after the war, intermarried in large numbers. So when we look at each other now, and I've put exhibitions together, and some of our Maori artists have said, what are those Pākehās doing in this exhibition? You know, and I said, why? And one of them happened to be a good friend of mine, who's now Sir Derek Lardelli, and uh, it was in front of a, a whole group of uh, our Maori artists, and Derek questioned me, said, what are these Pākehās doing in here? And I said, well, Mr. Lardelli, what part of you do you want to extract from this exhibition? <laughs> and uh, he looked at me and laughed and he says, okay, fair go, I understand, okay, we support it. Uh, and it got rid of that, that sort of thing. The big thing that uh, we as Maori people have been used to propaganda, okay? Our whole history is propaganda. We've gotten used to it. We talk about it. We have our own whare wānanga. We, we have a whole range of things. I learned from my elders. If uh, my dad was alive today, he would have been about 120. Okay, so I'm number 11 in a large family of 12 uh, plus about five they whāngaid or they adopted who are all older than me. Uh, most of them have passed away. So I have that s sort of feeling of being part of a large family. I've felt the loss. Uh, I've continued on with the fight uh, for our people. Uh, we succeeded in one area. This lockdown has meant that the Tribal Council hasn't been able to meet for two and a half years. And I'm in the process of calling it together and saying we must meet because right through the country you'll find due to the lockdown, it's fragmented a lot of the tribal people. And what's happened in between that uh, is a lot of our people have become very uh, dependent upon government funding because they are delivering their outputs for government, okay? And with this, uh, this latest one, with a uh, Maori health sort of section, okay, the tribes are going to be dependent upon delivering those as well for government. And it means that you either survive on the government funding or you don't survive. In other words, you have a job today, but tomorrow you may not have it if you decide to go against us. We are very aware of that. And it's now just a question of making sure that that doesn't happen. So part of our whole strategy is to say, how do we build this vision, this vision for the future? And just ironically, uh, we have people at Mahanga Bay who, who are good people. Uh, and I was asked by the Miramar community to go and find out who they were. So, of course, I went in to find out who they were. And they're very good Maori people. And all they want is a second chance in life, OK? That's all they want. And the, the, the question is, how do we make that happen? OK, and ironically, the police approached me and said, can you come and help us? And 
I, I sat down with them uh, and explained this to them and I said, I don't want you charging in there with a whole group of police officers. Remember, the police officers can be our neighbours, they can be a member of the club, they can be a member of the rugby team and the netball team, uh, they can be a, a, a relative. You know, like, like my nephew was one of the police officers there. And I said to him, how did you find it at Parliament? And he looked at me and he says, uncle, he said, we hated it. He said, we hated it. We were at a stage, he said, where we were talking to people and friendly because he brought up as a Maori, okay? So he saw all the people there and they got friendly talking. And something happened, something happened that set the police against us. Okay, I went in there because that is the traditional thing. You don't stand back, you go in, and it's normally done by a young warrior, you have the, the weddle, okay? And the warrior goes in to find out if you're here for peace or what. And then you have a second one and a third one. And then a karanga comes out from the woman, which says, basically, who are you? And then one comes back, which says, this is who we are. And then another one will come out to say whether you can come on or not safely. Now, that was not done. And unfortunately, uh, one of our people who's in charge of that thing, who's employed in Parliament, uh, has avoided me because he knows that I'm not very happy. Uh, but I will, I will have a talk to him. And so that was not appropriate because it was uh, my role in Karapukitabu Senior. We appointed him and we put him in there so he could represent us in Parliament. Okay, so that every time Manuhiri arrive in Parliament, they're welcomed by him, okay, and, and, and the manuhiri will say what they're there for and then they will sit down and they will have a meeting. They will present their take or what the reason they're there for. Uh, there'll be questions asked and I've been there a few times and been part of that and you go and have a cup of tea, shake hands and you go home, okay, and you hear back later. That's what should have happened there. If that had have happened, there would not have been any of the violence that followed because... The army guys who were there assured me that a lot of them, they would help them because I was working with Roger, uh, who's a lieutenant colonel in the army. And he was one of the so-called protesters there. And we were working together with the mayor and also the deputy commissioner to try and make sure that there was a peaceful finish to it all. But there was a sudden move for the police to go in. And that's what created the problem, what happened there. Uh, and it was wrong. Uh, the police will find this. There were 1,900 complaints. It was wrong to bring in untrained police officers from the police college because that would have been a totally new experience for them. And I think you'll find a lot of the violence came from that. So I don't, I don't blame the police. I've spoken to them. I said, I don't blame you guys, um, but I don't think you did the right thing. And a lot of them agreed, and I know that a number of them actually resigned because they said we weren't here for that. So they're not our enemy. They are our neighbours. They are, our, our, in my case, nephews and nieces. Uh, and they're people we know who are part of the rugby club and the netball club. So <clears throat> I said to some of the group at Mahanga Bay, your real success is when your enemy becomes your friend. And one of the people there who happened to have been an ex-army person said, ironically, he was told that by one of their generals when he was overseas in Afghanistan, saying exactly the same thing. And uh, he asked me where I learnt it, and I said, by studying the history of the world, you will find 
all the way back to the beginning of humanities, the beginning of the animal kingdoms when I was in Africa and I saw an alligator swim out and uh, I saw a young elephant come out near the pool to drink and this alligator swam out towards it and this big elephant walks in, stood beside it and stamped about half a dozen times on the sand and the alligator took off. And the young elephant had a drink and then went back. And that same rule where the people who like to take over to be the leaders is throughout the animal kingdom and it's throughout the human kingdom. Okay, so we have to make sure that the people who take on those leadership roles are there for the better of our people and the better of our future. And that's the only way we can do it. But we are te atiawa, we are mana whenua. We have problems caused by the mandate and we are working on trying to fix that up. Yeah, kia ora. That's number 50. Thank you, Darcy. Um, interesting, isn't it, when you watch the animal kingdom and how, how that works with the, the large elephant coming to protect the young you know, it's um, it's part of what society is all about as well. As I said earlier, we're we're out to protect our young, we're out to protect our children, and that's one of the reasons why we do what we do. Is um, and what what a lot of people did going to Parliament. Huh? Oh, sorry. Um, so, yeah. Um, now. The next speaker that we have coming up is uh, someone who I've got to know over the last couple of years and works tirelessly. She is a person that is um, quite amazing with the energy that she puts into everything that she does. She travels long distances and is involved in so many activities. She's, she's quite an amazing woman. She is the national coordinator for the Fluoride Free New Zealand and has um, been uh, actively involved in, in a lot of campaigns over the last two years. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce you, for those who don't know you, Mary. Uh, hi everyone, um, I'm the second to last speaker, just so you all know where we're at, and um, I won't take too long. Right, um, let's not forget, let's not forget the people who have died from this jab and the people who have been injured. Let's not forget the people who have given up their careers, their reputations, their incomes, standing up for all our rights. Let's not forget our forefathers who risked their lives fighting for freedoms of their children and the generations to come. Let's not forget our maternal ancestors who suffered the agony of losing husbands and sons for our freedom. Let's not forget the people who first stood up in New Zealand when most of us either didn't know the narrative was wrong or we were too scared to say so. Uh, Dr Simon Thornley, Sue Gray, Brad Flutie and Billy Tikahika are the ones that I know of. <laughs> let's, <clears throat> let's not forget everyone that dedicated themselves to the convoy and the Wellington protest. 
What we are experiencing today is no less a war than the wars in the past. People are being maimed and killed and freedom and rights have been taken away. It is a war that can be framed in the terms of centralisation versus decentralisation. Decentralisation means having decision making at the lowest possible level so people have as much freedom as possible to live their lives as they see fit. Centralisation means a few people controlling everybody else. My involvement in the freedom movement started just over 20 years ago when I campaigned to keep fluoridation out of Petone. To this day, there is still no fluoridation in Korokora or Petone. That has led me on a journey to where I found out both our government and the mainstream media lie. But it has also been a journey that it has allowed me to believe that the little person can make a difference. For those that don't know, the fluoridation chemicals added to drinking water in New Zealand come directly from the smokestacks of the phosphate fertiliser industry. These chemicals contain traces of lead, arsenic, mercury and sometimes even radium. They are classified as hazardous waste and they are not allowed to be disposed of in the rivers or the lakes or the sea, but unbelievably councils can drip feed them through our public water supply. Most Countries in the world do not have fluoridation. Even most of Europe does not have it. Only eight countries in the world have more than 50% of the population on fluoridated water, three of them being the USA, Australia and Ireland, which along with New Zealand are the four countries with the highest cancer rates. In 2019, the American Medical Association's journal Pediatrics, the highest ranking pediatric journal in the world, published a great study carried out by North American scientists who compared the IQ of Canadian children whose mothers were consuming fluoridated water while pregnant to children whose mothers weren't. They found a definite drop in IQ, an average of around five IQ points. Across society, an average drop of five IQ points halves the number of geniuses and increases by 50% the number, uh, the number of mentally impaired. There are now 74 studies out of 83 that have reported elevated fluoride exposure in humans is associated with reduced IQ. The USA's National Institution of Environmental Health Services commissioned the National Toxicology Program to review all fluoride studies. The draft release concluded that fluoride is presumed to be a cognitive neurodevelopmental hazard to humans. Their final report is due any day now. Now, no one would knowingly add a neurotoxin to their drinking water. No one would contact the phosphate fertiliser industry and ask they could have some of their highly toxic waste so they could add a little amount to their drinking water every day. No one would do that, yet. Yet, in response to the overwhelming scientific proof and the inroads our group Fluoride Free New Zealand was having on local councils, the National Party introduced a law to remove decision-making from local councils to the DHBs. The current government has further centralised decision-making, putting it into the hands of, no less, the Director-General of Health, Ashley Bloomfield. <coughs> Ashley Bloomfield is now ordering every country, every council in the country to do just that, add toxic waste to their drinking water, no questions allowed. 
Fluoridation is just one example of the continued centralisation of power. The government's COVID response and the WHO pandemic treaty are obviously huge examples of centralised power. We need to bring that power back into our own hands. They want us to be deflated and defeated. But if we were defeated, they would not need a disinformation project right out of George Orwell's 1984. The disinformation project refers to the Wellington protest as tectonic. The Wellington protest was an awesome example of decentralisation. Well done, us. Let's, let's not forget we can make a difference, we have made a difference, and we will continue to make a difference. Thank you. Yes, well done. Thanks, Mary. Uh, orange number two is the second to last ticket. Um, now, I, all I can say is thank God I drink water out of a tank off my roof. Uh, yeah, I know, I know, I know, don't worry. I'm putting um, gates and electric fences up and all sorts. Um, now, we've got one more speaker coming. Uh, this person, for her age, is has got a bright career and a future ahead of her. She is quite incredible with her convictions and um, artistry. I'd like to see the book come out at some stage with all of her poems. Um, I'd like to introduce you to Michelle. Hi, everyone. It's really nice to see you all. Um, thank you everyone for coming and thank you for all the speakers that have spoken before me and thank you for the organisation and to Calvin and Hannah for um, travelling around and doing what you're doing. Um, creative writing or poetry for me is a way for me to process my emotions and I think maybe we could all agree that this has been quite a roller coaster of a ride that we've been on. Um, so that's one way for me that I find an outlet. Um, some other ways I could suggest for all of us would be um, grounding techniques, taking our feet off and walking in barefoot on the earth, coming back to the breath really frequently. And um, if you ever want to do a yoga class, I do teach one in Nayo. <laughs> um, so this is a poem that I wrote after... Um, the mandates came out and I have just changed it a little bit recently to reflect my feelings about the protest. There are moments on this journey when my heart has felt deflated. It seems our government and their media are constantly pu pushing judgment, fear and hatred. The dishonest headlines, segregation being normalised. Anger swells up my spine. Tears trickle down my skin as I move through this grief for what's left behind. Gone are the moments to just smile and bite my tongue. Instead, I thread into the world the words on my mind, trying to undo the propaganda that's been spun. One-sided reporting, valid concerns, they are distorting, side effects and deaths of our people, difficult choices, jobs on the line. Yet it's no longer mainstream to listen, discuss or empathise. 
Is this what a country looks like when the motto is to be kind? Discrimination and bullying is now widely vocalised, yet many of us can see the actions being taken beyond this never-ending trail of outright lies. Nurses, doctors, teachers, hospitality, care home workers, hairdressers, professors, parents, police force, military service, everyday New Zealanders have been called selfish and dehumanised. History will show you where this takes us. Parliament lawns swarmed with those willing to face this, while others found comfort shielding the truth from their eyes. Too many lines crossed in the sand, the people ready and willing to take a stand for our children, our future, our friends, our family. We said no to their divide. Knowing in our body, soul and mind as we held that line, this is not the time to hide. We witnessed bravery against their mental slavery, contrasted with police just following orders of even elderly abuse. So to those of you still struggling to speak your truth, I ask, would you rather use your voice or repeat the mistakes of the past by staying silent, frozen, paralyzed? Time is ticking. The vaccine passport, it's just a disguise. You think the freedoms that they've removed is where they intend for this to be ending? Well, sadly, my friend, you're in for a frightful surprise. It's a social credit system glammed up with some colourful red, green and orange lights. Just like the two weeks turned into two years, eventually will progress into complete control and monitoring of our lives. More checkpoints, more borders, $9 million facial recognition technology and full functioning order. Freeze your bank, seize your work, not even public transport when your social credit score is minimised. When it gets to that point, your only choice left is comply. The corruption and the introduction of the Great Reset, so many threads that make up this web of lies, like the manufactured breakdown of the upcoming food chain supply. It's time now to build our own systems or be the victims of the World Economic Forum's vision. It's no longer just a conspiracy to deny. They've said you'll be happy when it's nothing you own, programming the masses to worship their captures like Stockholm Syndrome. But I say, effing hell no. <laughs> Do you hear this mother's cry? Because amongst all the madness, the anger, the sadness, the great awakening coincides. It's time to dig down deep and embody your authenticity. Because now is the time we did not sit and just be quiet as they tried to lead us towards a world where it's necessary to carry papers renewed by monthly boosters in order to go out, buy food or even be hired. And we will not sit and watch as our children become slaves to a technocracy or Agenda 2030. Instead, we will use this momentum, this tectonic intervention, the people ready to stand up and rise. Because within each and every one of you, there is a fire. We do have power to change this. We must tap into that drive. Personal boundaries firm, communities unified. We will not live on our knees and let our children's future die. As winter comes, the tree leaves fall and the flowers wither, yet the snake continues to slither. And the mouse that crawls, 
gets eaten alive. But the eagle who sees all, the bigger picture, continues to fly and will soar through the sky even on the darkest of nights. Stop looking without you. What you need to lead you right now is found deep inside. Over the echoing screens, the daily briefings, our own inner voice. We must tune in and recognize. You don't have to play along with what you can clearly see is wrong. Take off the mask. Don't pretend you're hypnotized. Because when this whole thing falls, don't you want to proudly look the next generation in the eyes and tell them that you spoke your truth with integrity? You stood on the side of history that stood up for what was right. The time is now. The awakening has arrived. Thank you. C25, so if you go to the back, there are the, your prizes there. Okay, so the last, um, last evening before Kelvin and Hannah come back is we're going to sing the national anthem. Are we still doing that or not? Maybe not. It's probably a bit late. So um, I'm going to wrap it up at my end and bring back Kelvin. Yeah, yeah. I never got the memo. <laughs> Hannah and Kelvin. Yeah, go for it. Me. <laughs> So beautiful, guys. Um, and do you all know that that is actually just uh, a small portion of a very long extended version of... Um, I, I've only found that in the last couple of years and the whole thing is amazing. So um, it's taken on a whole new meaning for me. Uh, what a great night. Thank you to all of our speakers. Such an eclectic wealth of wisdom. Um, and it just shows you what this country is made of. Um, sometimes I have thoughts uh, that kind of, you know, we all have these thoughts where they come, I don't know where they come from, but the fact that New Zealand is still getting fluoridated and the fact that New Zealand is still behind in a lot of um, really bad practices makes me think, why are they still doing that? What is it about New Zealand that they want to hold down? Now, is there anybody, and I just thought while um, Mary was speaking, does, has anybody heard of Lumeria? Um, so anyway, I'm just going to leave it there, but that's kind of a thought that came to me. Like maybe there's a connection to Lemuria and New Zealand 
and we are the first to see the light of the new day. And if the great, if we are in the great, great awakening, and there's only five million of us, you imagine what five million awakened aware human beings can do to this small uh, ruling. Well, we don't like to call them elite, do we? But those that shouldn't be in power. The powers that shouldn't be, uh, yeah, that, that, that would be really, really scary for them. So um, I can keep going. And uh, there was a couple of other things I want to mention. Obviously, the World Health, Econo- uh, the World Health Organization started their summit today. Um, and apparently it's a conspiracy theory that the World Health Organization and the United Nations are influencing local, national um, and local States. council policies. But Michael Baker that lovely expert that they've been rolling out for the last two years, recently said that uh, he very much supports the World Health Organization and the United Nations being given enough resources to coordinate the next pandemic response. So uh, again, another conspiracy theory turning out to be conspiracy fact. So congratulations to all of you for holding the line. Um, It's only like six weeks now. It used to be six months. And now, uh, yeah, between a conspiracy theory becoming a con- conspiracy fact. So, um, We're actually conspiracy factualists. I'm sick of this theory bullshit. It's actually in practice. <laughs> Secondly, you're right, whoever mentioned the refinery, strategic asset. There's five things you must never give up in your country. Never give up your, your energy, never give up your water, never give up your finances, transport, and communication. Those are the five that feed the lifeblood of your economy. And those are the ones they attacked first. This goes way, way, way back. You have like 1967, Nelson Bunker Hunt, Hunt Petroleum, Great South Basin Discovery. We have more oil in the Middle East. But you didn't know that. Well, now you do. You also realize the politicians that are bribed, and not just with money. They take them away, they get them involved in skullduggery, take videos, take note, then they've got a willing uh, yes man at the end of it. Otherwise they'll be exposed. Just go and look up the Ian Wisher article in 2007, exposing the Dunedin sex ring down in Dunedin. And then when you read that article about the cover-up by Michael Cullen and the shutting down of the investigation into the pedophile ring down in Dunedin, you'll then relate it to what happened, to why they burnt the main house down so fast. Could there have been, just throwing it out there, could there have been a uh, film on a disc of certain high-powered politicians and that that they wanted to destroy because they couldn't find it when they went in there? We're still trying to find it. Could there be a documentary coming out shortly about it all? Because it survived and it's in Australia? Could be. We'll see. Before we end, we've got an award that we'd like to... I haven't finished my rant. We'll do do that in a minute. All right. I got, I'm okay. a, a bit hot under the <laughs> He's collar. He's on a actually. roll. How long have you got? The, the problem with the Marsden Point thing is that we need to build another one. The problem is we can spend $500 million for the public to buy it back. They control the Resource Management Act and all the contracts. How are you going to get the fuel in without resource management? Well, they'll just block it at the border. So someone needed to um, hit the end goal and reverse engineer of how we get there. That's the only problem here that we're facing at the moment. We need to rebuild it because we haven't got enough oil here. And it's not um, 10 years, it's easy 150 years. There is no scarcity of oil, people. Don't ever believe that bullshit. It's the second most prevalent liquid on Earth next to water. That is a fact. The Earth generates it. It is not a finite resource. The Earth generates it. The Earth is alive. 
we're just like ticks on a dog's back and every now and then it scratches us and shows us just how damn mortal we are. <laughs> These are facts and evidence that they can't deny. These are what's been suppressed for so long. And this is why we keep bringing shit out. And that's why they keep trying to shut us up. So the more they shut us up, the louder we get, the more obnoxious I'll get there. <laughs> because I'm still going to call them out day in and day out. And heck is right. At first I thought, you dodgy bastard, you know? And that was a fact. But after a while, we find common ground. And he's not so, such a bad bloke after all. I actually like him. <laughs> a very intelligent man too, I like that. And he's got a vision, he's got a good heart. And that's what I identified with when you get past all the rubbish. Good heart, you know you've got a good man. You see? And uh, that just goes to prove as well, because we're all about this being the people's platform, right? And what pissed us off in Parliament, I'll tell you what it was, because we were live streaming at the time, as everyone knows, we live streamed what happened in Parliament, then we would play the six o'clock news, just to show people the stark variation in stories. My gripe was this, when you've got six organisations assuming to work on behalf of the people, you better get your ass up on that main stage in front of people and ask their permission to represent them instead of doing backroom deals that the people knew nothing about. That was the biggest mistake made. And then the miscommunication of the speech, it wasn't your fault, it was the way it was taken in that. And then, of course, we reacted to the um, live stream feed, same way, telling everyone to go home. No one gave up all of that life to get there, dig in, until we resolved it. And then, of course, the other speech was done, and boom, everyone started coming back. And they came back in earnest. And when that thin line held, Especially the ladies. We've got to give it up to you ladies. You had more balls than the blokes, let's face it. Especially you elderly woman. You guys, you guys are legends. Another thing that pisses me off is we take the elderly and we push them aside like they're nothing beyond the use-by dates. They are our greatest resource and our greatest sense of knowledge. You want a decent generation growing up, you put them with the old people. And you'll have a hearty bunch, and not a bunch of sick, twisted individuals who are like snowflakes. There's plenty of solutions out there. But I'm not here to teach you what you don't already know. I'm just here to help you remember what you forgot. You forgot who the hell you are and what you are. And I'm sick to death of people talking about, oh, the government this, the government that. It's just like the government comes to give you your lolly scramble three months before an election to tell you how much you need them. What they've done is they've stolen off you for three damn years and they come and say, oh, we're gonna give you a bit of money, your own shit back. You know, oh, the government's gonna spend 150 uh, million on health. No, you're not a dick, you had no money to start with. You're spending our money. And did you ask us? All policy should be needing necessity, not wanting privilege. I'm sick of the divide, this racial bloody uh, spending as well. What, you got a different skin color, so all of a sudden you have more needs than me? Bullshit. If a child falls over, everyone knows the child needs assistance. The problem is he never gets saved because everyone argues about what's the sort of assistance to give and how to give it. This is how stupid we are. And everyone thinks they're King Kamaka. And you're welcome, Maoris. See, we're not white supremacists. We brought some spare chuckers on our team. Yeah. There, see? Oh, Valk's down there. <laughs> Nazi something. Hey, what's yours? That's the way, see? Sea pups. That's actually what it means. So I was joking, it's true. 
Was that designed to attack our Maori people? No, you don't understand. I'm the only one who's ever used a Maori passport twice overseas. I'm the help them set up the Maori government and know to who. You realise. Say again? I do understand much more than you realise. Yeah. And so do I. Exactly. So, so keep us out of it. No, no, we, no. We, you want to be inclusive? You got to be brought into it, because this is all a collective here. You're all of different skin colour. In fact, you're so cross-pollinated we could be a garden. There is no difference here. It's that terminology and that thinking that's causing the divide. I'm just the one who will say what most people think. And this platform, like I said before, was for your voice. That's why every one of you got up to have your voice. Yeah, we won't be back down. We won't. We what? Sorry. You're dominating it. It's a counterspin media tour. Just saying. <laughs> yep. So we're just saying we won't cow. We won't back down. We won't be forced to um, comply. And I guarantee you, we will keep the pressure on the government and everything, because they're not your friends. Yeah. It's it's all right. Yeah. I mean, we yeah. we you know we respected you when you spoke up. What's going on here? I don't like the way he's not respecting Maori people now. No, no, but this is what they want. Dana, you this offended? Is, this is what they all want. Okay, we all need to be able to laugh at each other yep. and have have a good laugh. It's not about race. That's it's right. not about creed. It's about the way. But that's what the government wants. They're putting race into everything, that's and right. that's the problem. Well, he's just trying to point out the irony yeah. of the fact that we now have a healthcare system that is based on race. When for the last hundred years we've been trying to take race out of things. Exactly. Because it's yeah, and it's good. Yeah, we I don't. And if you watch your shows, that's exactly what I've been saying. Yeah. I've been saying that exact thing. This, this is what I mean. That's why it's based on need and necessity. Anyway, we'll move on. Can we just end on a, on a really yes, good note? note? Yeah. Okay, so as you all know, and there's been amazing speakers and some really great people doing amazing things. So what um, Counterspin has been doing along the way is we have been um, awarding people um, awards of truth, courage and freedom. And this is um, an award of merit that we would like to award to Dr. Matthew Shelton. Yeah. A man who stood in the breach, taking the hits because he actually upholds his oath. All right, I think the tea and the bickies are at the back, and uh, we've, we've all ended, I think, and I can't wait to see you guys uh, at the barricades the next time. So, um, safe home, and thanks for coming, everybody. You can find Counterspin, New Zealand's media revolution, at counterspinmedia.com. And now, on the InfoWars Network, at band.video.